here's here's the difference between our worldviews. If my worldview is true, then there's objective moral standard, meaning outside of humans. If your worldview is true, there's not. Welcome, everyone. I have a guest today. It's He's a Latter-day Saint, and uh, I, I came across, so this is Hayden. I came across Hayden um, after I did my interview with Jacob Hansen. He shared a, a debate that Jacob Hansen and Hayden had against some Calvinists, uh, Christians. So, and I, I believe James White was moderating. So mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, so that's how I, how I found out about you. Um, and I've seen you a little bit in Facebook groups and stuff. So, and is, I don't know, what else would you like to add? That's mm-hmm. cause that's basically all I know about you. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a guy who enjoys talking about religion, uh, a guy who enjoys, um, being challenged and challenging others and talking about things that, that matter. So I, I'm I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Cool. I I feel like a lot of Latter Day Saints, and this would have included me when I was practicing, are perfectly fine just avoiding any church topics outside of the church. Um, so have you always been comfortable discussing your religion publicly, or has this something that's developed over time? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So it probably started like a lot of uh, young LDS members on my mission. I served. I'm from Arizona, but I served a full-time mission in Salt Lake City. And so uh, before you get called to Salt Lake City, you think everyone's a member and everyone's nice to the missionaries there. But you quickly realize that there's a lot of people who don't like um, the missionaries in the church, more so in like Salt Lake City proper, like downtown. When I served there, there was a lot of opposition and people who already had opinions, obviously, about us and who who knew about us or thought they knew about us. So um, that's where I became... That was my first step into obviously having any religious conversation in high school. I can't say that I understood the religion or any religion for that matter at all. Um, but yeah, the mission started. And then, um, yeah, after the mission, went to college, got involved in other clubs and other things there. And obviously there was conversa- religious conversations happening. I was at SUU in Southern Utah in Cedar City. And there was uh, lots of opportunity for discussion and disagreements amongst the student body and other things. And so, uh, yeah, that was my kind of next exposure and more and more comfortable with that. And then coming out of college, I got hired to teach seminary full-time for the church. So that's, um, that's a lot of what I do and what I think about and what I, what I study is gospel related things. So, yeah. So you're, um, you're a seminary teacher now then? Yep. Yeah, oh. well, we're in this we're in the summertime, so we don't have students right now. But yeah, yeah, I've been doing. Uh, this is just finished my fifth year. Wow, that's really cool. So, um, yeah. I mean, maybe this is a stupid question, but like, how do your employers think about like that? Your supervisors and stuff. How do they think mm-hmm. about you engaging online? Do they care, or have you ever been worried um, about? Oh yeah, yeah. You know that when we did our debate, I made sure to bring it up to my supervisor and even my my boss's boss, just to mention it to them to see if there's any issues. The church is really, really good about staying out of our personal lives. Like they don't monitor us. They're not. I've never because I'm I'm engaged online 
almost every day and, you know, saying things that, that, you know, maybe more bold than the church would say them. And I've never once had my supervisor employer approach me. Um, And they've actually, well, I take that back. They have approached me, but it's um, luckily it's been in praise to the content that I've engaged with, whether, whether it's on Jacob's channel or on, you know, Facebook or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, that, that was definitely a worry. Um, like going into the debate, like I said, like, am I allowed to do this? Not only as a church member, but as a church employee and there was no issue there. So that's yeah. good. There, there's, there's a lot of trust um, from church leadership, at least in S and I and seminaries and institutes and employees that I don't, I don't stress about that anymore. That's good. Obviously if I was saying stupid things, maybe I'd worry, but I hope to say things that are not stupid or too stupid. <laughs> Well, you never know it. It's stupid, right? Yeah. Yeah. Until you say it and then, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I might have more questions now that I know you're a seminary teacher. Like I, sure. I was kind of curious, do you feel like the way you teach seminary is different than when you went through seminary? Like is, because mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe you're the similar age to me, but I feel like there was a lot of stuff that I learned um, recently. Like I read Saints um, and that was kind of the start for me of, um, going down it, it my story is complicated because I would say I kind of was losing my belief but then I lost my loyalty to the to the church and that was started by reading mm. saints if that okay. makes sense sure I, I distinguish between like my beliefs and like and, and having literal belief versus like loyalty to the church because mm. I think you can actually lose your literal belief but still have loyalty to the church okay yeah yeah that's fair I think um but so, so anyways do you do you think there's a difference between the way, like kind of the curriculum that you're teaching now versus what you were taught? Um, curriculum. I mean, we're still doing the standard work. So we still switch off books every year and, and now we're aligned with come follow me. So right now we're in the new Testament. We just finished the gospels. Um, and we're going to pick up in acts uh, starting in August, but um, it's, it's different from, so I, I graduated high school in what, 2013. So it's, it's been 10, 10 years last month. And uh, although the content is the same, meaning the same books, the standard works, the methods that we're using in the mindset that we have is very, very different. Um, it's turned from a, what a, you know, back then, as far as I understand and having conversations with my employees now who taught back then and, and, further back. Uh, it's gone from what can I do as the teacher? What can I, what can I do to help these students learn, which was good. And it, and it worked, I think for a lot of people and maybe not for others now more. So we're, we're turning at least in Mesa turning towards more of a mindset of what can the students be doing to take ownership and buy, what, what can we do to get buy-in from the students so that they can kind of have ownership in their own learning? So in, in that way, it's a lot different where we expect probably more of students than was expected of, of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. The content's the same. The, the way we go about it is uh, the mindset, I think, is the best way to say it. it's very different. Mm-hmm. Our, our role as a teacher is is very different yeah. in a good way. In a good way. Okay. Um. How did the Calvinist debate come about? I'm going to switch back yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's a good story. So Daniel Constantino, I don't know if you've seen him online. He's on, on our, are, are you on the Thoughtful Faith group? Do you see yes. him post there? 
So he, uh, Daniel, he's on that group and Oscar, I think he either is or was part of that group. Daniel, as far as I understand, at least he was, I don't know if he still is. I think he still is. He is the, the head of what they call Mormon outreach for Apologia Church here in Mesa. Apologia Studios, you might know Jeff Durbin or, or James yeah, I've White seen him that you mentioned. Yeah, so they post a lot, you know, a lot of Mormon content and things like that. Um, street epistemology, you might say, from a Calvinist point of view, mm-hmm. which is funny because they, they don't ever really reveal that they are Calvinists when they do street epistemology. That, and they do that on purpose. And I've talked with them about that. But um, what happened was every uh, two weeks, I think it is. I don't know if they're still doing it, but they go. They used to at least two years ago. They go to different LBS chapels around Mesa, maybe Gilbert. Maybe they may dip into a little bit of Gilbert or Tempe. But they go and they just hand out, they have their pamphlets, Gospel for Mormons, and it's a copy of Jeff Durbin's, um, I forget what the video is called. It's the one where he's standing in front of the temple. You've Maybe you've seen it. Jacob did a response to it. But it's that video in written form, just like the, uh, It was. I think it was off the cuff. It wasn't a transcript, but they've made it into a transcript. And uh, they hand that out and they come to LDS Chapel. So anyway, long story short, he came to my chapel uh, here in Mesa. And uh, when I pulled in, to the parking lot, they were standing, they never come onto the, pro- onto the property, but they stand on the sidewalk and they, you know, try to give people coming in and stuff like that as they come onto the property. But I went, I, I pulled in and I immediately recognized their pamphlets because I'd seen them online and things like that. And so I parked my car real quick, ran over and said, Hey, I have a meeting I got to go to right now, but can I come back and talk to you? I, actually, I approached them and said, are you guys from Apology at Church? And they kind of were like, yeah, like, how did you know that? And I said, Oh, I've, I've been waiting for this day for you to come <laughs> to my church building. Cause I really want to talk to you. So anyway, Daniel was there. A couple other people were there and we started a friendship and uh, we had some, we, they have a podcast uh, Oscar who was in the debate and they have a friend named Matt. Um, they have a podcast or had a podcast. I don't think they posted on it for a while called two witnesses. And so they had me and Jacob on when Jacob lived here in Gilbert uh, in the Valley. And we did three episodes, I think two hours each. So it was like six hours of conversation talking about various topics, you know, LBS and Calvinist related. On their the, podcast, you've been on, on their podcast. On theirs, yeah. And I can really? send you those if you want to link them. They yeah. were great conversations and great guys. And the conversations were very cordial and they were very nice. Yeah, and so after that, it. yeah. So after that, um, we said, okay, we think we understand each of our positions. We hold to the authority of uh, personal revelation and of modern day prophets and you guys hold to the position of sola scriptura, which is the belief that the Bible is the sole infallible rule in faith uh, uh, for Christians. So let's debate that. That's a fundamental disagreement. You believe Bible alone. We believe Bible plus. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about that. So anyway, that's how, to answer your question, that's how the debate came about. And uh, I think we all really enjoyed it. I think we all think we all, both sides won, but <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that to the audience anyway. Well, as you can imagine, I feel like both sides had uh, won at certain points. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it'd be arrogant to to not admit that all belief systems have strong points and have weak points. Right. Um, and the, hopefully those came out in the debate. But yeah, it sounds like you guys had a, a good relationship going into that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is um, probably why it turned out as well as it did. Um, I, I wonder like that kind of format of debate, how 
beneficial it is. Like you were just saying, we both thought mm-hmm. we won. And so what mm-hmm. I see what happens in those that kind of debate is kind of like a, yeah, you, you come in with your team and then you think your team wins. And I don't mm-hmm. see a lot of minds changed or. Sure. And most people who watch the debate, they just think their side got stronger. They had a bias going in. Of course, that's, yeah, I think that's there certain isn't There certainly isn't a lot of like understanding. It sounds like you did the understanding part during that podcast, maybe. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, between, between us. Yeah, th- this was not, the debate was not for us for, it was for the audience, for sure. Th- those who took time and watched it. And I think it takes two or three run-throughs to really understand what both sides are saying. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm, when I'm, what my goal is, is I like to try to understand people and where they're coming from, and then maybe mm-hmm. either find out where we're agreeing or where definitions mm-hmm. are, are mm-hmm. causing a gap or something. See, yeah. um, so I guess, so what did you find the benefit of that debate was then? Like, what is the benefit for the audience mm-hmm. to watch that? If you just walk away thinking, oh, my side definitely won. If everybody's thinking that, like, what's the benefit mm-hmm. of it? Yeah, well, I, I maybe would say that not everybody, I would say a large portion of people watch it and they're watching it with the intent of strengthening their own belief, right? So they will dismiss, most people will dismiss the other side, even if they are making good points and uh, will will use their side, if you will, their points to, to bolster their position and to, to use that in their own apologetics. Um, I think there is a small, other, other than the benefit of, of us four who participated, I think we probably benefited the most from, from that, sure. but, but there's a small minority, I think of people who maybe don't have, um, and it's hard. We all have biases, but who don't have a strong bias in the game, who can hopefully objectively as possible kind of understand those arguments. I think if you really listen, um, and I'm, I'm saying this with my bias, you can start to understand that there are fundamental differences. And it was our goal and it was their goal to show how silly the other side you know, was mm-hmm. and how strong our, our side was. Now, debate is interesting because you can win a debate even if you're wrong, mm-hmm. right? If you are a better debater, that, that's, it's kind of an act, right? It's, it's kind of a, of a drama of a sort um, that plays a lot into it, you know, regarding, right. Cause I've seen, I, I saw a debate. So, so I'm, I'm a Republican, right? I'm a more conservative leaning, obviously. Um, when I was in college, there was two clubs like college Republicans and college Democrats. I can't remember what the names were, but they did a formal debate um, and it was timed and it was cross-examined and kind of how we did at Apologia. And the Republican representative, he was the president of this organization on campus. And this is Southern Utah. So everyone's conservative. Yeah. He got obliterated by these far left leaning students because he, he didn't study. He didn't know any of their arguments going in. He just thought, oh, this is, you know, these dumb lefties, like I'm just going to destroy them. And he got massacred, um, yeah. not because he wasn't right, in my opinion, but because he just didn't know how to debate. So anyway, there, there's a lot of moving parts, I think, in in debate. But does that maybe answer your question a little bit? Yeah, that, no, that helps. Uh, I guess in a sense, you're saying that there are... Um 
there are there is understanding happening. So people are going to hear things mm -hmm. that they, they were unaware of. So there is sure. whether they still think their side won, maybe they understand mm -hmm. the other side a little better. Yeah. And it's or, fairly complex. So I think it does take a few listens, which I don't think most people are willing to do. It's kind of long. It's like two hours long. Yeah. Or and then the other thing is that you understand maybe criticisms of your own views a little bit better, yes. too, because you maybe never yeah. heard them. Yep. And I hope an honest, you know, scholar or somebody who's interested in this can take those criticisms and wrestle with them. The worst thing you can do is dismiss them. Right. Which mm -hmm. is what most most people, most Latter-day Saints and people in general do with mm -hmm. our beliefs because we are uncomfortable. It makes us feel, you know, you even get that. Yeah. You, you even get that feeling in your gut or in your chest. Like, Oh my gosh, like is what I believe wrong. Um, I've had right. that experience before and and I've had to get over that, but yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, I think we covered it. I was going to ask yeah. also, like, do you think there's any downfalls of that kind of format of debate? And uh, there, you know, there were some people who criticized us, even Latter-day Saints, who said that was a really dumb thing to do. Like it only debate only breeds contention and things like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, if you were to know what's happening in the background and behind the curtain, it wasn't contentious whatsoever, even though our words were probing. Right. We I think if I remember correctly, it's been a while, but part of our script was to to identify Sola Scriptura as them worshiping an idol. And that's for a Protestant, that's a huge deal, right? Mm -hmm. To say you're, you're an idol worshiper. So anyway, it wasn't, um, it wasn't men contention. It was just to say, this is our view right on that. So some people saw that as contentious and we saw it as we just want to be as clear as possible. So I've heard, I think, I think it was in one of the Facebook threads. I saw you talking about, it was some idea along the lines of, Atheists are critical and don't have any positive claims to defend. Anybody can do oh, that. Yes. Maybe you can restate that in a more clear way. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, that is a great question. So I think atheism by its very nature is, is conclusively deconstructive. What I mean by that is atheism is not positing a positive claim. It's rejecting a positive claim. Right. If, if theism is the positive claim or, or a God that interacts with us exists, atheism is no, he doesn't. Most and I can't say all most atheists I've I've talked to online and in person, they and and you may you may correct me and, and I'm willing to, to talk about this, but I see them using it often as a shield to not have to defend anything. They, they, most of the individuals I've talked to love to critique the church or religion in general. But when you ask them questions, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, Oh, we're not talking about me right now. We're talking about the church. Like if it's on a church video or a church post, mm -hmm. I very seldom now there are, there are some, and I really enjoy talking with the, the individuals who do engage very seldom. Do I find someone who is willing to engage and posit or, or present a positive argument in contrast to what they're critiquing. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so if you're going to tell me there is no God, what is the alternative worldview to that? And what are the implications of a world with no God? I don't find many people wanting to engage that, that question. Um, I don't know if, if you have, or we can talk about it if you'd like to, I, yeah. I think, there's I mean, hours of conversation, but yeah. I know I, I guess 
my question is, um, yeah, what, are, I, what are your views of, I guess, the Bible? Like, mm-hmm. do you have a pretty literal view that the way that it's compiled is exactly how it's supposed to be? Like, that mm-hmm. would be kind of close to the <laughs> Calvinist view, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I don't know oh. if, you know, it's interesting. Protestantism is similar to atheism in the sense that there's no head of it, right? For me, if you were to ask me a question, I would, if if possible, I would refer you to who I consider to be the mouthpiece for God, which would be Russell M. Nelson, right? Uh-huh. You know, I, I would align myself with the church's position on anything, you know, that they have a position on. For Protestantism and for atheism, there is no person to speak on behalf. And that's, Protestant. it causes a lot of pro- problems for Protestants because, their answer will be, you know, if you say, well, who gets the final say? They'll say, well, the Bible. And when you say, well, whose interpretation of the Bible is it? They'll say, well, the Bible, you know, we, they'll, they'll go f- as far as to say, especially those from Apology of Church, the Calvinists there, they'll go as far to say that they don't interpret the Bible. That uh-huh. the Bible, we just take it at its word and, and the Bible means what it says, um, which is which is nonsense, right? To say that you don't interpret words is to reject a fundamental reality of of linguistics like it doesn't make any sense at all it's it's a cop-out it's a, a so, little bit I, I would say generally we can learn about what people probably meant by the words and that might be the best and and understanding mm-hmm. that you might not understand fully but that there is an understanding like if i wrote down a sentence and i say hey hayden mm-hmm. yada 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 you're gonna I meant something by that. And whether yeah. you clearly receive it is something mm-hmm. different. Totally. And that's what our debate is. It's funny that you'd say that. That's actually what our debate is. I don't know if you watched the debate. There was I a part in the, the debate. debate. Okay. Did you see the part where Jacob held up the, I never said I stole money uh, page? Do you remember that part? I don't. He uh, he, he actually got this from, um, oh, what is his name? He's a Catholic apologist. Uh, I can't, his name's escaping me right now, but he debated James White. Uh, I think in like the nineties on Sola Scriptura Mm -hmm. and his name will come to me in a second, but he holds up a piece of paper and Jacob did this in the debate. And he said, because we're talking about interpretation of words and of the Bible Mm -hmm. and Jacob held up the sign that said, I never said you stole money. And he asked our opponents, do you know what I mean? I wrote this. Do you know what I mean by this? And they're kind of humming and hawing. And, and the answer ultimately obviously is no. Right. You don't know the intent of a writing perfectly anyway Mm -hmm. um, within the realm of our ability to understand unless the person is able to tell you what they meant. Right. Even if in our debate opponents, one of the arguments they brought up as well, you know, if my wife tells me she loves me, I don't have to interpret that. I just know what that means. And the answer is the response is not exactly. What if she's saying it sarcastically? And what if it's through a text message or like interpretation is embedded um, in this in talking about how I view the Bible interpretation is embedded in, uh, in everything we do as humans, right? Even me talking right now, you have to interpret using your senses. I don't know if you're familiar with Jacob's collective witness model. I don't know. Well, no, this is very postmodern of you. These ideas. Okay. (laughs) So, so yes, in the sense now I'm not saying there's no absolute truth. I'm mm-hmm. saying to posit that we can know exactly what all of the writers of the Bible 
wrote just by looking at the words and doing no computing whatsoever is nonsense, right? Yeah, um, I guess mm, the way I'm looking at it is if I go and read uh, writings of, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, any historical figure, I can, I'm, I'm going to be doing the computing like you're saying. Sure. And I'm just saying that as far as like, you are trying to understand what they meant by it. Not that you're going to be perfect at oh. understanding it. And just mm-hmm. like in that way, you could do that with the Bible. So I'm not sure, sure that you yeah. necessarily need to make a claim of, of personal revelation when trying to understand that you could just use your own mm-hmm. intellect to understand it. Like you would understand any historical document. Yes. And, and I'm not making the claim that when we write something, it, necessarily has multiple meetings. When you bring up postmodern modernism, I, I view that as, well, there's no absolute truth. Things can mean different things to different people. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, and, and and I would argue that at the basis of knowledge is what we call personal revelation or communication with the divine. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can we can talk about that. And that's that's an interesting topic. But in regards to my view on the Bible, um, to say that without um, communication with the divine, we can know even rationally everything, all of the intents of all of the authors of the Bible, I, I think is is impossible. Hmm. Um, I mean, here's one example. The Bible says the, the, the Father and the Son are one. Is there more than one way to look at that on its face mm-hmm. value? There is, right? right? And I'm right because there are, are Trinitarians who I think are 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 very intellectual and very uh, bright who believe that the intent of the author was that they are one being, three persons, but one being. When Latter Day Saints would know would say no, three persons, three beings, right? So that's that's my <laughs> point is is to claim that that they know it all because that's what you kind of have to do. If you believe the Bible is infallible, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have to claim that you know what the Bible is saying. I'm saying it's helpful and even necessary to have, uh, especially a mouthpiece for God or personal revelation. So anyway, that's kind of long winded, but I hope that makes sense. I think, I yeah, think there's... I, in, in the way that, um, I, that problem that you were seeing with the interpretation is from my understanding, uh, some of the original, thinkers of postmodernism, that was the problem they saw as well, mm. but okay. they didn't, but I'm, um, so that's what I, what I meant by that. I, sure. it, if, if I were to try to understand postmodernism and not just say equals bad, but just try to grant like mm-hmm. what they were trying to say, there is a problem there and you know, it's a problem mm-hmm. we have to live with, but sure, sure. I think, um, yeah. Can I, can I ask your stance on that? I know, I know you're the interviewer and I'm the interviewee. No, but that's fine. Do you have My, a stance on, yeah, go ahead on that go ahead, topic. Go ahead and finish your question. I was, was going to say like, just on the nature of truth, the, na- the, the nature of, of knowing, do you, do you take a stance on those, on those topics? Um, I, so I think my favorite take and it, I'm, I borrowed it. So I want to give credit. It was mm. Jonathan Haidt. He was talking to, Sam Harris, and they were talking about this whole idea of truth. Um, and I, I think that there is some kind of truth out there that is worth striving for, but we're not very good at knowing what it is. Mm. And Jonathan Haidt kind of said, 
it, I wish I had the quote. I should like, probably have it written down. When, so can, can, can I ask a question about that? When you say truth out there, can you, can you, that's kind of like, what do you mean by that? Truth out there? Like true, like, is it true that we're talking right now, even over the internet, right? That's true mm-hmm. as far as I can tell. Anyway, what do you mean by truth out there? Uh, probably in an objective truth type of oh, way, like okay. in the way that you would talk about an objective truth. But we're not very good at knowing what it is. Mm. So like, for example, mm. um, one of the things that bothered me when I was watching the debate that you guys did is it's like, I'm not sure how good it is to know that God can communicate with you if you don't know that God is communicating with you. Sure. <laughs> so like, if, yep. you, if you're really bad at knowing whether that came from God or whether it came from yourself, then that's not a very good method mm-hmm. for knowing truth ultimately. And I understand that mm-hmm. Jacob has come up with his, yeah. his, you know, collective multiple, witness model, mm-hmm. and that's fine, but it, it's still not convincing for me. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. so that, yeah. that's that's a great uh, that's a great well, point. Well, let yeah. me finish Jonathan yeah. Knight's thing. Oh yeah, he, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. So he basically he there's no point in believing in objective truth if you can't know what it is. But Jonathan Haidt, um, his kind of silver lining is that we're better at knowing what it is with the help of the criticism of of those around us. So like, basically if we help each other, see each other's blind spots, that's going to get us closer than we can alone. I would agree with that. Which I, um, I strongly believe that, which is why I, I do my best to talk to people I disagree with Mm because it's not that I think I'm right and they're wrong. I think we can find a something better, not necessarily Mm -hmm. in the middle, but through understanding and stuff. Like I think, and that, that was kind of my, we talked about Uber Mormon before we started. That was kind of our, our I think ours. And because I think me and Jacob had a car, I had a conversation with them and me and Jacob, but I think we, all three of us went into that conversation with that attitude. And actually that's a Jordan Peterson. I think that's one of his principles in his book is assume that everyone you talk to knows something you don't or something like that. Is right. that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I'm hearing from you, which I totally agree with. I, I think going in like we talked about debate feeling like you're just gonna destroy somebody it's like you're not gonna learn there has to be a hint of humility sure so yeah so i would agree with i would agree with you yeah but anyway you were gonna you were gonna move on to something else yeah we're talking about uh this is more epistemological but like what's you know what good i think you said correct me if i'm wrong what good is revelation or what good is the divine speaking to you, to you, if you're not very good at knowing, right. Whether or not it's from God, mm-hmm. I think that's the key. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I, I think prophets throughout time, especially president Nelson today have constantly um, what's, what's the quote from president Nelson. He said, uh, I urge you, or I plead with you to increase your, ability or capacity to receive spiritual revelation because you won't be able to survive spiritually in these latter days without it. In other words, that's the goal. And that's, and really if we want to get into, to, to Jacob's thing or whatever, we can talk about how we know things. I think on a reality level, the only way we actually can know something, the pure definition of no is to have it communicated directly from the divine to you, not through your senses, not, not through seeing or feeling or touching or smelling or hearing, 
but to you, whatever you are. You, you may see your spirit or or whatever, but everything else, like Descartes said, you know, on a rational level, you can't really know for sure um, anything other than that you exist. Um, I don't know. You, you're familiar with that. And yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. And I agree with that because I've had dreams and maybe your viewers have had dreams where in the moment after you woke up, you knew it was a dream, but in the moment your brain or your being thought it was real Mm -hmm. Um, or people who have dementia, right? They see things or experience things that are not real that they genuinely think are. And so on a rational level, we can have 99.99999 repeating percent uh, assurance or confidence that what we're observing in the world is real, but the hundred percent, we, we can't ever quite get there because of even those simple facts. Yeah. So I yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or want to talk about that at all. Yeah. So um, Peter Bogosian would, when he does his street epistemology, he will ask people when they're on their lines, like how certain are you? Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's not him. Maybe that's Anthony Magnabosco. Uh, no, I, I've seen him do that. Like, or what, what would Whenever cause you to people are out there doing mm-hmm. street epistemology, they'll ask mm-hmm. you, okay, what's your confidence level? And then they'll mm-hmm. talk to him for a little bit. And then when they're done talking, usually they'll, they might lower their confidence level. Mm-hmm. Sure. So it's interesting. I, uh, I remember talking to Jacob Hansen about this very thing. And when I, when I hear that, like, I'm sympathetic to this idea of, you know, we don't know what's real, but assuming what we're experiencing as real is real. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's going to be in our 99. Sure. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the spiritual revelation, do you feel like you can get that 99? Sure. With the spiritual revelation as well. 100, 100%. That's the point is that you, you can, can only 100. Yes. Yep. Now, can I prove that to anybody else on the earth? Absolutely not. I think what, what that does that is mean the, to have a hundred? Like it's to know. I don't I don't know how else to say it. It's so so let me let me ask you a question. Let's say that everything that Mormonism currently teaches is true. Let's say everything Joe like just just grant it for, for a moment. What would it mean for the divine to communicate to you? Like, what would that look like? And what would that mean for an individual who's having divine communications with God? And it's hard its hard to picture that because we view everything through a rational lens. And maybe I always have, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I never had any kind of experience that seemed... I remember one time trying to explain to my husband, I said, I, I know the church is true. Like, I know... Um, farming is true. Like I I couldn't Mm. quite put into words, like I was trying to describe to him, there's something that I feel strongly about that I am passionate about. And I, and and so then it started, and then that got my wheels turning. When I had that realization, I was like, well, if, if it's because of how I was brought up, if it's because Mm -hmm. how can I trust any kind of uh, knowing like that? Like, Mm -hmm. yes, I know that it's true, but you know, how, how can I, no, mm-hmm. if and so any kind of spiritual experience I had was on that same level where I could have, you know, emotional experiences. I mean, I say emotional, but I mean, I understand mm-hmm. that it, there's like a deeper. Sure. Um, you know, there's a deeper experience that you can have 
that gives you meaning in life. It makes you feel like you're where you're supposed to be. It makes you feel mm-hmm. like you're on the right track. You're heading the right direction, whatever that is. I've had that feeling, but I can't say that I've ever had any kind of, um, uh, I, I, I don't know, like nothing beyond that. <laughs> okay. So, so, so like, like a, like a revelation. Or, or a divine I always considered revelation when I was practicing a Latter-day Saint. I always pictured it being through my own thoughts and un- and with un- understanding that I could be wrong sometimes, but I felt that I was being guided. I remember one time when I prayed to go to a school to decide which school to go to, I had basically sixes as far as cost went and the quality of education I felt like I was going to get. I prayed and received nothing. And... I just remember getting the guidance and felt like it was good guidance. It was like, you make the decision and if it's the wrong decision, you'll, you'll get the feeling that it's the wrong decision. So Mm -hmm. you can't, sometimes you can't Mm -hmm. like, it was like, you can't just expect God to tell you what to do. You have to act. And so I always felt like I was acting and I always felt like God was guiding me. If that makes sense. Like I didn't, I never had a for sure. Yes. You did what God just told you to do other than just that feeling of, being in the right place, the right moment, whatever. Mm-hmm. Sure. I think, I think most Latter-day Saints have that experience. I, I may be in the minority mm-hmm. and it may be on a Latter-day Saint level um, radical of me to say something like this, but like, I don't think God cares. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I gotta be careful about how I say this because people have experiences that are very precious to them in, in this realm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think God cares about what we care about. I think I think there's some principles there. I think you know He He can, you know, work with us from where we are. In regards to even big life choices, college or employment, or even who you marry, I don't think God really cares about those things as much as we think He does. Mm-hmm. From from a Latter Day Saint perspective, anyway. Um, I don't know. I've, I've, I've always, since I've been concerned about religion, since I was 18 or 19 years old, I've always felt like God has provided more than enough truth through prophets, ultimately through Mm -hmm. scripture and modern prophets. And it's okay to pray. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray about, you know, where you go to school or who you marry and people have done that and they've received confirmations and they probably have, I'm probably wrong. But I, I, I kind of like you, maybe a little bit, whenever I've prayed, I've never felt like God had this one plan for me. It was more so like you get to choose and I'm okay with basically everything you want to do. As long as you are living the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't care where you go to school. Mm -hmm. I don't care who you, who you marry. Um, I mean, he may care if you get sealed in the temple of you, if you're, if you know, if you're on that covenant path, we say now, but. I don't, you know, where you live. I, I think God lets us choose, right? I'm speaking from a, from a Latter-day Saint lens, but I don't know if that makes any sense or if you, if, if that rings true to you um, for, from well, when you were a Latter-day Saint, but. Well, I would say that what you just described is how, what I described, but uh, I was trying to understand more of that knowing that, that, yeah. that, that, that knowing that God, where, where did, where did that, play like i'm not sure. asking you to share your spiritual experience but i'm just no. trying to understand like mm-hmm. what that means like here here's an example i had several people when i was i was pretty open about my um 
I don't know what to even call it about my collapse of belief, or at least my collapse of loyalty to the church. I was pretty open with some people and, you know, they shared some pretty special experiences for them. And I think, you know, I I don't have a lot of judgment on that. Like, I think that told them something that they needed to know, Mm -hmm. but as they were telling me those experiences to me, that just told me that they were where they were supposed to be. It didn't tell me the thing they thought it told them. Does that Mm, make sense? Like, sure. Like for example, um, uh, there was an, I I don't want to necessarily share it. I'll just say that like someone share would they would share a really powerful experience. And then that gave them the testimony of the church. And in my mind, I'm like, well, why is that a testimony that the church is true and mm-hmm. not just the testimony that the universe mm-hmm. was where it wanted you to be? Like you could totally be a pantheist and have that same mm-hmm. experience be meaningful to you. Sure. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, like, like I said before, you know, even our deepest beliefs have weak spots. And I think one of the greatest critiques of personal revelation being our motive of truth or, or receiving truth is that in a way, I mean, I think there are arguments against it, but in a way, it can, you know, framed in, in the right light, it can be used against us, right? Because what if a, and we can talk about this, what if a, a Muslim comes up to me and says, you know, God told me that I'm supposed to be Muslim, you know, on face value, you know, depending on how well I know this person or how much time I have with this person, I may just say, okay, yeah, that's, that's fair. I may not engage. If I had some more time, Um, you know, I think it would be appropriate to talk about, you know, why we believe the divine is speaking with us. Right. And it's up to each individual person to determine, well, truth and not, not, not to sound more postmodernistic, but like, and I'm not saying there's more than one truth I'm saying are, there's one, one truth, if you will, but infinite perspectives of the truth. Um, and so I, I don't know if that rings true to you, but you know, there does come a point where, you know, at least in conversation that I might say, yeah, you know, if God's telling you this, I may disagree with you, but I think it's a good argument, right? What else, what is greater than the creator of the universe speaking to you? Like, is there a greater witness than that? Yeah. I don't, I don't know of one. If, if there is a creator, I don't, I don't know of one greater than that. Mm-hmm. And how do you know if the creator is talking with you? Well, that's a whole nother debate of spiritual epistemology. And how do we validate our spiritual experiences? Because can you misinterpret spiritual uh, communication? Absolutely. And that's another issue, right? Mm-hmm. That we have to wrestle with. Right. But th- that's, that's the purpose of, you know, can we improve in our receiving personal revelation? Sorry, you got the seminary teacher coming out in me now. Like, <laughs> this, okay. is, this is such an important topic for, for Latter-day Saints anyway. Um, in regards to knowing or testimony, right? T- testimony is, is the root of, of why we do what we do. So anyway. Right. Well, and so I guess that takes me back to, I, I was surprised to hear you say that it was like a hundred percent, like you can know a hundred percent. So I guess going back to that, that um, what does that mean? Like you're a hundred percent sure you can be a hundred percent sure that, you're in the true church. You can be a hundred percent sure that like, uh, Russell Nelson is the prophet. Like what, where, mm-hmm. what, what sure. kind of anything information can you be Any, 100% sure about any information? 
Um, okay, let me ask you this. Could yes. someone think they have that 100% level but be wrong? Yes. Okay, so it's not really 100%. <laughs> no, here, here, here's, here's what you're missing maybe. If God is actually speaking to them, how more sure can you be than that? Now, the debate is, is God speaking to you? Well, that, I don't doubt yeah. that people can mm -hmm. be certain of wrong things, like, and sure. think that they yeah. heard it from God even. Sure. Oh, yeah. People think they hear things from God all the time, and then they do stupid yeah. things. Yeah, so absolutely. what I'm saying is, as a person trying to understand, even if God is talking to you, like, I'm, I'm saying, mm -hmm. what kind of level should I, as a person yeah. that feels like I have 100% certainty, should mm. I actually think I have mm. found the truth, or should I have some humility and be like... Mm -hmm. Like, what's that? That's why I'm like, oh, sure. to hear you say 100%. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. You know, I mean, it depends on how you want to frame it. I think there always has to be a level of humility. Because even going back to our to our debate in Apologia, there was a question, maybe in the cross-examination, where, and I think different Latter-day Saints may answer this differently, but one of the questions they asked us was, "Can could you be wrong about Joseph Smith being a prophet? And to your point, the answer is, you know, practically, yes. But if God is actually speaking to us, the answer is no, right? But then again, how do we know if God is speaking to us? And that's what I, going back to what I said originally, we started opening this is you cannot prove that, right? When we want to, like, how does somebody know if God is actually speaking to them? It's, it's a great question. And it's one we have to wrestle with every single day, I think. Well, at least on important topics. Um, but I don't think there's any method of, of determining that for another person. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Now, now, what if, how do I want to say this now, if I believe God's speaking to me and he's told me something and let's say, let's say I am 100% sure, or let's say God actually did speak to me. That, that's kind of the only way to say it, right. Mm -hmm. As we communicate. And then somebody else comes to me and says, God told me this, and it contradicts what God told me. Then, you know, I think it's appropriate to say, well, no, like I disagree with that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so it's such a personal, right. I, I don't know personal revelation to be anything but that personal. It's kind of like the old adage, like what does salt taste like? Or how do you describe what salt tastes like? It's like, well, you have to taste it. Right. right. Kind of that same idea. It's like, can you explain that to somebody else? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, and I see what you're wrestling with. It's like, well, is it really a hundred percent if we could be wrong? Right. But, but my point is if it is God, then anyway, I'm assuming that you can understand why someone on oh. the outside of that belief yes. that God can speak to you on hundred percent, why they'd yep. be skeptical. Yes. And it's not out of just trying to destroy your beliefs. It's just mm -hmm. um, in a way of trying to find truth, if it does exist. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that is not very, like, if, if I'm striving to discover what truth is, and I feel like truth is very tightly intertwined with reality. Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter oh, how yeah. much you believe, mm -hmm. like, a glass door is not there. If you try to walk through it, you are going to hit the glass. Like, sure. I feel like reality bats last. <laughs> so Sure. Okay, so, so so now it seems like you've kind of stepped into a postmodernist. Like, can we actually know anything? 
Is that no, kind of what, what I, you're I saying? Or help me? Yeah, no, that there's a glass door there. And I think well, that it's important what, what, to try to know what it is. And okay. I think it's important to not, if at one point, like my ancestors passed down a belief that there is no glass door there. Mm-hmm. I I think it's important to try to push against what was passed down. Oh, sure. Too. Yeah, I think, and, well, and not absolutely. just hang on to things just because we we know it's true. Oh, <laughs> you know? like, on this topic, we're on the same, we're on the same team. Yeah. I, we're on team truth. Now, now my question for you is, are, are you saying that you can know with 100% certainty or would you frame it no, in that way? I, I don't think, I, I think that is the difference between my belief, like a postmodern belief would say that, um, well, there's some truth there is some truth in the way you're like, and as far as psychology goes, I do believe there's some truth as far as your beliefs matter. Like you mm-hmm. can oh, yeah. change the outcomes of your life based on your beliefs, like positive affirmations. And oh, stuff it's required. Like yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. So, um, and it, you know, it's like Sam Harris was saying in the Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris debate, he's like, man, if you really believe that you're Superman and you can do anything, that's going to, you know, possibly mm-hmm. improve your life. And he was comparing that to believing in a God that, has your back right sure just because that makes it better doesn't mean there's actually that you are actually superman or that there is actually or what you're imagining but it's still Mm -hmm. see and i think jordan peterson would say that's still true because you it it changed your life right so it became true in a pragmatic Uh, way right uh, so yeah Mm -hmm. so i i think that's the strongest in my opinion the strongest Mm -hmm. um but I can't force myself to believe something I don't believe either. So sure. So help me understand when you because uh, correct me if it I'm was, wrong. That was very specific. no. Sorry. That no, was... it's good. When you said I, I think you said when I asked you if we can know things, you said yes. We can know things with a certain degree of certainty, and I think that okay. Uh, I anytime someone says a hundred percent, I that it's a red flag in my mind. Okay. Um, but I think we're talking about the same thing. I think um, if you're coming at this from a rational point of view, I'm 100% on board with you. I think you can be more or less certain or, or when you become so confident, you might use the language of, I know this, right? Mm-hmm. I know that this microphone is here. I, I would use that language. Now, do I have hundred percent rational certainty? Of course not. Cause I could be dreaming or X, you know, et cetera. Yeah. I think I agree with you there. I think I I'm using a different category or definition of knowledge when I use the hundred percent. Does that, does that make sense? And maybe it's not no, one that, that, actually that you makes would... a lot of sense. Um, yeah. John Verbeek talks about different ways of knowing, like you have propositional okay. knowing and you have, mm-hmm. I can't remember. He had like four different kinds of knowing. And then mm-hmm. sometimes we use knowing for all four types. Sure. But to me, the spiritual knowing that I feel like you are talking about that mm-hmm. has a different category. It's not that I am saying that doesn't apply. It's just that sometimes I feel like there's a sleight of hand going on when I'm talking to mm-hmm. Uh, some people where they will take, see, I'm talking about this knowing, but then they'll make a propositional claim. Okay. Here's, here's a thought on that. Mm -hmm. And this just, this just muddies the water just a little bit more. And and I promise it's not a sleight of hand, but it's, and I don't mean, I don't mean to. (laughs) You understand what I mean. Like why I was, I'm not not demeaning someone having a certain kind of knowledge of knowing that the gospel works for them and it makes their lives better. And they have that kind of knowing. And, and then, but then they make the claim that they know that something over some other propositional truth over here is true. 
if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, I'm, I promise you, I'm not speaking out of both sides of my mouth. <clears throat> at its core, even rational knowledge is rooted in spiritual knowledge. So not to be well, more confusing. Fine. No, I, mm -hmm. I can kind of understand what you mean by that. And I, I don't yeah. necessarily have a problem with that, but when it comes to like your daily life mm -hmm. and um, I don't know when it, when it comes yeah. to your daily life and I mean, you can imagine that, I mean, this would be like the, the left argument of how the church isn't good for like a small minority of people. Mm -hmm. And if, if it's not good for a minority of people, then everybody over here could be saying, yes, it's true, but they're not having the same experience as this person over here. And they're getting the experience that it's not true, but they don't know what to do because their whole social network is all around them saying it's true. Yeah. That's, that's uh, a sticky and common issue in our, in our age for um, sure. In our generation. Yeah. So you were saying that like even rational knowledge is, is founded in this other kind of knowledge. But I guess mm -hmm. my point is you wouldn't, you wouldn't grant that to somebody that was trying to make some kind of claim of um, I, I'm trying to think of, you know, like you do a study and you find out that I'm trying to think of it a good example, but I don't know that, that some medicine works and, mm -hmm. and you find, and you did the study and the medicine doesn't work. And someone says, well, I know that the medicine does work because of mm -hmm. this spiritual knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's just some categories that you wouldn't allow people to use that argument. Even if, oh. mm -hmm. even if the person is saying, well, even, even your rational scientific method is still rooted in the spiritual knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like we've developed it to a point where we can make, um, like we can, which we, we can try to have good confidence levels for certain things. Right. Yes. Now, let me let me clarify what I said about rational being rooted in spiritual. Okay. Now, and I I derive this from Latter Day Saints. So. But and, and, no, I, I think you're. I think. Well, let me just say this. I do. I'm taking this from Latter Day Saint scripture, mm -hmm. mainly Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants. You know, maybe maybe a little bit in in the Bible and Progress Price. I think I think it's scattered, but specifically maybe in the DNC. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I would argue from if 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 those documents are true, right? If, if those are true revelations from a divine being, God, as we understand him as Latter-day Saints, um, I would argue that everything we do and everything we intake is naturally and necessarily spiritual. And I, and I realize that, you know, an atheist would reject that outright. And that's, that's fine. That we, we just create a more fundamental level where we can't even get to that conversation. Right. Well, but and if, you're also talking about an idea. I've, I'm not familiar with this. So I'm, that's uh, yeah. interesting that you've, yeah. Well, you've, you, is you've, this something you've, you've come up with or have you been taught this? I'm curious. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I'm, no, I think it just, I, this is some, an observation I have from, from okay. study. When you get paid to study scriptures, it's easy to study. So <laughs> anyway, uh, you might be familiar with uh, Moroni 10.5, right? 
or Moroni 10, 4 and 5 about the Book of Mormon, when Moroni mm-hmm. is saying, you know, pray to know if it's not true. If you have a sincere heart, real intent, having faith in Christ, you've heard that a billion times. Mm-hmm. The, the verse that we don't spend enough time on, verse 4 is great, and that's, I think, valid and necessary. Verse 5 says, and by the power of the Holy Ghost, you may know the truth of all things. And I, and I think that if that is true, if the Book of Mormon is true and, and Mormonism is true, we'll say, um, that is the start, well, of, of my epistemology. That's the start of discovering what on earth knowledge is. And knowledge is equivalent to light, the Doctrine and Covenants says, and how light is given to us and it's taken away. And I'll just say it like this uh, for you and for, for your viewers. If you guys have never read the Doctrine and Covenants all the way through and done a done a serious study of the revelations of Joseph Smith uh, that are found in the Doctrine and Covenants, you are missing out. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't believe them necessarily, even just understanding where that man was and the tr- the truth, what I would consider to be truth, coming from his lips from divine from the divine. It is mind-blowing. There are, you might even say, philosophical solves that philosophers since the beginning of time have struggled with that are solved in the Doctrine and Covenants regarding some of these things and more. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to say often that that Joseph's Mormonism, I'll just say, solves so many issues around atheism, around Protestantism, around Catholicism, around theism in general. For example, um, so you're familiar with Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman is is one of the lead critics of biblical texts, right? He's former Protestant turned atheist. And a lot of his study uh, is focused on the, not necessarily the, um, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, not that you can't trust the Bible or the reliability of the Bible, it's focused on the contradictions of the Bible, right? The in, the fallibility, we'll call it. And so a lot of Latter-day Saints flock to him because he has a lot of good content on the fallibility of the Bible. That being said, he didn't leave. He's clear about this. He didn't leave the faith because of the fallibility of the Bible. He, he, he still was a Christian while being fallible. The problem that he left over is what he calls the problem of evil, which says in, in all Christians— besides Latter-day Saints, deal with this. Why would an all-loving, all-powerful, able-to-do-anything God create a world where there is so much pain and suffering and sickness and torture? And he left over that. And modern Christianity, uh, they don't have an answer for that question. The answer is, we're the we're the pot, and he's the potter. And this is a Calvinist, more Calvinist take on it, but he can do whatever he wants, is what they would say. Ultimately, they would embrace it. A lot of Christians would say, "Oh, I don't know. You know, that's just it. Just is what it is." Latter Day Saints, on the other hand, and this is and one example of of the revelations of Joseph Smith. The Book of Mormon is full of it. You're familiar with the phrase where it says God would cease to be God. You, you've heard that before. If God did this. Right. I feel like that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I never had a problem. Let, let me see if I can finish your yeah. thought here. Yes. Just yep. that yep. Uh, God is subject to the laws of the universe. Um, just so he's he's not. Mm-hmm. As you start to dip in 
to the revelations of Joseph Smith, you start to realize how, I mean, from an atheistic point of view, how brilliant he was. This man, if not a prophet, was the brightest human being who has ever lived on the face of the planet. Um, and I and I feel comfortable saying something like that because of the content or the caliber of what he produced, mm-hmm. uh, even just in the Doctrine and Covenants, but other places as well. See, you say something like that and it go, I say, yeah, maybe he was an exceptional person and that's why he was able to come up with a whole theology. But then that kind of discredits the whole, oh, look what he did with the Book of Mormon because he was just a dumb farm kid. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, you know, and you know, I'd love to talk about that. I don't know how much time you have left. I actually um, am willing to keep talking. Do you, do you want to go into into Book of Mormon? You brought up like him being a farm boy. I have I have some things that you might find interesting on that. Topic. Um, I I or, don't know. Maybe that's kind of. Okay. I think. Um, yeah. I am curious what your thoughts on like street epistemology in general are. Like when you know Peter Bogosian goes out there and he says what's your confidence level? And then he encourages people to have less confidence. Like, do you think that's a good thing or is that just like a deconstruction thing in your mind? Like, is... uh, I'm so sorry. Say, say that one more time. For okay. Me. So Peter Bogosian, Anthony yeah. Magnum Bosco, they'll go out and do these street epistemology yeah. uh, interviews. And they, I think they would say their goal is to lower people's confidence in okay. certain things. Have they said that? I think, they use that no, I think I, I think they do that. That's why they will ask someone, well, how confident are you of that mm. belief? And then they'll ask them questions about it, especially mm-hmm. if it's something that they disagree with them on. Like, so it, sure. it, it would be kind of weird to meet somebody and they're a hundred percent sure about something that you don't think is true. Like naturally anybody is going to want to lean them less confident, even though you could be wrong as well. Sure. Um, right. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I've never, I've never considered it said that way. I, I may say like they like to challenge people, but that's kind of the same thing in a way. Yeah. I mean, they just, they, I think have this fundamental belief that you should have good reasons for believing things that mm-hmm. you act out in your life. Uh, totally. And, and they would say that religion is not worthy of your acting out. Which I'm not sure I agree with that personally, but Okay, I didn't know. I thought Peter Bogosian was religious. I didn't know that. Oh no, he—he's the one that actually wrote the book that like motivated. I think Anthony that motivated the street epistemology online phenomenon. Oh, okay, yeah, I need to look into that. I didn't. I was unaware of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, he just happens to be also skeptical of some of the claims that are made politically on the left mm, as well sure, sure. <laughs> so, yeah that's obvious yeah <laughs> his segments are so good though i love when he when he drops a new video yeah um i i think he's just a genuinely curious person like i think yeah mm-hmm. yeah he seems Anyways. like good faith actor for sure so, so anyway when you think of like kind of that epistemology people out on the street asking people questions um like, do you feel like that can be a tool for good, like trying to get people closer to the truth? Or do you always think it's a deconstruction type like move or tool? No, no, it's great. I, I think um, I think it's good if you are willing to provide an alternative. I, I don't I don't you know, you, we may like. Cause I don't ever see Peter. Is that only in religions, religious situations or is that in, just, I mean, anything, 
I'm certainly there's like far out beliefs that someone could have that you would be like, Hey, why do you believe that? And then mm-hmm. you don't give them alternative to believe like, so like someone could say, Hey, I believe in insert your mm-hmm. thing that we both don't agree with. <laughs> like we don't mm-hmm. think is true. Like, do you, I guess in my mind, like, why does there have to be, let me ask you this. Yeah. Why does there have to be a replacement for a belief in God? If we're understanding God in the wrong way, like we're leaning on, mm-hmm the understanding of man's interpretation up to this point, but God really is something different that is maybe even incomprehensible. Sure. Like, so, for, so for example, if I say, why do you believe God has a body of flesh and bones? And so I'm not necessarily being an, I'm not deconstructing necessarily the idea that there's meaning in life. I'm just deconstructing the mm-hmm. idea that God brings meaning to life. Does that make sense? I think, I think so like often online, um, I will approach critics, you know, most of them are anonymous, whether it's on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, you know, or Facebook, it doesn't have to be anonymous or in person. You know, I, you know, if I have the opportunity, some of the questions I really love to ask anybody is, um, first question is what God do you worship? And that kind of puts them on the spot of, of providing some information. Uh, do you know, um, oh, Greg Kokel? You know Greg Kokel? He wrote a book called Tactics. I don't think so. Um, if you're into, it's, it's a street epistemology book, basically. Um, it's, it's geared towards evangelicals. But uh, he has a really good portion. It's even the first chapter where he walks into this store and there is a woman wearing pagan necklace or, or something. It, it wasn't Christian. It wasn't Abrahamic religion. I forget pagan probably. And um, he shares this example where he, he asks her about it and she says, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm pagan. I think it was. And he started asking her questions about her fundamental beliefs. And, and she was a cashier in this store and he starts asking her questions about life. You know, does she value life? Like just very casually. And I don't, you know, I don't know. You have to read it. He says it way better than I'm telling you, but he ultimately is asking her questions. Um, like uh, I, I'm butchering this right now. He so asks her. Se's yeah. this pagan witch person. Yeah. Well, here's the here's the question he asks her. He says, "You know, do you value life?" And she says, "Absolutely." And he says, "Oh, then you must be against abortion." And she says, "Well, no. I, you know, I I believe in the freedom of choice." And basically, this book. And this is the first example he gives asking people what they believe is where you get down to the root foundational conversations of disagreement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, if I were to ask you, Marty, what God do you worship? How would you answer that, that question? Mm -hmm. And you may be no God, or you may spin it however you want. It doesn't really matter. Do you really want me to answer? Cause Mm -hmm. I can do my best. Yeah. Um, We have a minute. Let's let's try it. I would say that um, I I don't I don't worship with a religion, but I would say God is probably like ideal, like the ideal, whatever that is. Okay. The, the ideal, most good thing, good. <laughs> okay, so so let's just let's play this like we're chatting online. I don't know who you are. My next question would probably be, how did you come to that conclusion? 
I've been influenced by Jordan Peterson. <laughs> okay. okay, fair. He's a good guy to, to listen to, especially if you're not religious. He takes that stance, right? I was religious okay. when I started listening to him, though, so be careful. Okay, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, okay, my next question would probably be, so you don't actually believe that there is a God being. Is that correct? I'd say I don't know. I, I, I would say. Okay. You know, like in the same, and I might even use this example in the same way that I don't like a dog can't read. I'm kind of mm -hmm. in the opinion that uh, humans haven't figured that out. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair. So, okay, let's let's like take a order, step back. In order to believe in, I think that there's a creator. I think we'd have to understand how it was created, and then it would point mm. to the creator. You know, like, and I just don't mm. see that we can can do that. Understand that, you know, you get into quantum. Mm -hmm. you get into the kind of physics that only like a small percentage of people understand and yeah. that kind of stuff. And I start to realize how dumb I am. And then I sure. start to realize how dumb <laughs> everyone is. And then yeah. that they're probably only on the cusp of possible understanding. And it's just so little. So I, I yeah, just think, sure. I think, sure. I think generally like when I get after theists is that they're making too mm -hmm. big of a claim. That's all. Okay. They're too okay. Common. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And, yeah, and I don't, I don't mean to make this personal to you necessarily. I'm trying to give an example of like epistemology, like street epistemology. Yeah. Most typically I'm engaging people who are critical of the church. When I'm engaging an atheist, most of the time they are, they are criticizing the church on some sort of moral issue. Like for mm -hmm. example, let, let's, let's pretend that you are more left leaning and let's say you have an LGBTQ son or daughter and they were bullied in the church and you you have stepped away from the church because you start to see the church is harmful to your child, right? Yeah. Which is which is fair. Like I'm I'm not telling someone they're wrong. Mm -hmm. There may be harmful things, but here's the issue with that stance. Mm -hmm. If that person who's feeling this way and is let's say they make a comment and they say, you know, the church is responsible for all of the suicides of gay children in Utah or whatever, they may make a claim something like mm -hmm. that. I would approach them and I would ask them the questions I asked you. Tell me about your belief system. Do you believe in God? All these things. If if they were to make that claim and then make the claim that you've just given me that there's ultimately no God, but there's like, I don't even know if there's any substance there to be honest. And I don't know if you would give me anything else, but like, I don't hear any, any sort of confidence in a, in a higher power whatsoever. Is that? Well, it's certainly, it's certainly not, it's, it's not a knowledge of a higher power, but it is still the belief that I should act out the best version of myself. Like, okay. Okay. So here's my follow-up question for you. And I, and I hope you're okay with this. I'm kind of role-playing a little bit. <clears throat> you use the word should, mm -hmm. which is a, it's a, it's a value claim, right? Mm -hmm. You should, my question for you is based on what? And so, so you can answer that or, or I can explain what I'm doing. No, I, I know yeah. you're going with this. Does that make uh, sense? So would, this, is a, would, this is a great cocoa thing. Yeah, I, I would say that it would be based on um, my intuition and it would be based on okay. um, the wisdom of people that came mm. before me. Okay, you're starting to sound like Jacob Hansen a little bit. That's those are two pieces of his collective witness model, intuition and authority. So, well, mm -hmm. authority is, um, yeah, certainly it is. It is authority, 
See, I find like, authority... you're, like you're trusting people, other people. That's typically how he phrases it. I think. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm Which is great, I'm, by the way. I don't definitely I don't wrong. liking. I like the idea of not like the whole Chesterton ideas mm. of not tearing down a fence without knowing why it's there. Like I oh, want to know yeah. why it's there before I tear sure. it down. Sure, Just sure, so sure. that, so I, it's, it's not necessarily, it's the wisdom of those that came before me, but not without the ability to update it when it seems like, well, I understand why this fence was here and this fence oh. is definitely outdated. Let's go ahead and take it out. Like I'm okay. I'm okay sure. taking out the fence once we realize that maybe that was. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask this question about, about the fence. By what standard do you determine whether the fence is appropriate or not? Um, I would say I'd go back to like a Jonathan Haidt kind of a thing. Um, it would be making sure we look at all the angles and do our best. And then once we can't see a good reason for having the fence up, then um, mm -hmm. it's probably okay to not have it anymore. Interesting. Okay. So, so role play with me for a second. Take that role of, of the, uh, of the mom or whoever dad who has a LGBTQ child and, and is distance themselves from the church because they feel the church is harmful. Mm -hmm. Would you liken that fence? Let's say that fence is traditional marriage. Mm -hmm. And, and you as, as this disaffiliated member of the church. Well, this um, works I, for my current worldview because I'm okay with gay marriage. So, okay. Okay. So perfect. So, so you had this traditional fence that you were raised with that said marriage is only between a man and a woman and you've taken that fence down and you've replaced that with a new definition of marriage. Is that right? Um, well, I don't know if it's a new definition of marriage. Like marriage is only between a man and a woman is what the church would say. Um, Yeah. Like that, that, that I'm is marriage. I'm not too concerned mm -hmm. about the word. Like, okay. In my view, though, there seems to be the point of that commitment is probably to raise kids. And I'm okay with like Dave Rubin doing what he's doing. Like, he okay. has made a commitment to another mm -hmm. person and he's committed to. So, to me, like, sure. the more fundamental thing mm -hmm. is like the family unit. Okay. And nurturing a family and. Sure. And it's that's so, more fundamental to me than it being a man and a woman. Yeah. We're, we're getting into a realm where I think I should preface that obviously the church's stance is clear on, mm -hmm. on gay marriage. Right. And I support that 100%. Mm -hmm. Now, should people be able to live their lives in a way that they see fit? Absolutely. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I'm, I'm not here to press that on anybody at this point. Sure. That, that being said, so that, so that being said, I would, I would mm -hmm. say that, uh, the as far as gay marriage goes, mm -hmm. um, I think that the I think the more important thing is that you have someone like I, when I think of like the benefits of being married, it's that I've found someone that can help improve my life and make m mm -hmm. my life better by kind of in that same Jonathan Haidt way of like chipping off the sharp edges and stuff. Mm -hmm. Someone I trust, someone that's willing to help me be the best version of myself and I'm trying to help mm -hmm. him be the best okay. version. So I wouldn't want to take that away from someone and encourage them to be like celibate their whole life, especially mm -hmm. with my view where I'm not sure there's an afterlife. Does that make sense? Okay. Absolutely. Does. That's so, why I would, I would want to take that fence down personally. Okay. So, so my, my question kind of hones in on you're using, again, you're using value words like better and best. 
mm-hmm. right? You're, you want by what standard when you say better, yeah, you're going in one direction, worse is the other. What's the end? All, what's, what's the, is there an end goal? Like what's, what are you walking towards when you say better and what are you walking away from or what are you walking oh. towards when it's worse? Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I think that it's, When I listen, when I read scriptures or something like that, or I hear a scripture mm-hmm. or someone's talking about heaven and hell, like I think that it's not talking about an afterlife. I think it's talking about this life. So I think mm. it's really hard to articulate, but I think that we all kind of know what a heaven is and we all kind of know what a hell is. And so I want to move toward heaven and away from hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and okay. I, think, I think that by taking down that fence, um, it can make a, heaven available for more people. Okay. So here, here's my, my counter to that. When I was young, my parents had a rule for me and my brothers that we could not hang out with our friends on Sunday. We couldn't watch TV. We couldn't play video games. We couldn't do anything on Sunday. Yeah. For me, that was hell. Mm-hmm. I hated it. And I resented my parents, you know, in those adolescent years. Um, but at the same time, that was my, I'll say my parents, but my dad specifically, that was his heaven was to have a day where he could spend time with family and not work and, and, you know, study scripture, whatever it may be. So my, my question for you is like, would Would you you agree? Would you agree that with your worldview, like heaven and hell, there's no objective heaven and hell. It's kind of perception or perspective. Um, Yeah. And I would, I would say that I just kind of go back to that idea of wisdom and stuff and just the understanding that at any like it's similar to your view. Like I could be wrong about what's heaven and what's hell, mm-hmm. but that is certainly okay. the, the view that I have right now of what's heaven. Okay. And now, okay. So uh, let's be done with that part. Let me, let me tell you why though. That's, that's such an important conversation. When you asked me about doing online epistemology or street epistemology or whatever, I have found now, by the way, I respect you and, I think every person's on their own path and they have to figure it out. And by the way, I think if I had your exact experiences and lived your life, I'd probably believe exactly what you believe. I I don't think it's fair to fault somebody for their beliefs based on their life experiences. I think I can disagree, but I actually feel the same way, which is why I have pretty much anyone. Yeah. It's like, you know, speaking of Pine Creek, um, you brought up Pine Creek. I don't know if that was before the show or during the show. One time I was on with, with Doug on his show and he was talking to me about some of the things we've been talking about. And I came out and said that I said, look, Doug, like, I know you don't believe in Joseph Smith. He didn't even really know who Joseph Smith was. He, he doesn't know Mormonism really. I know you don't believe in a God. And uh, if I had your experiences, I'd, I'd believe the same thing. And he was almost speechless. He didn't have anything else to say. He said, Oh, okay. All right. Thanks for calling. Like it literally ended the conversation and he wasn't being um, contentious or anything, but, I, uh, I think when we can all come to the conversation saying that, and I, and I try to say that all very often, mm-hmm. um, it just helps the attitude of the conversation. It's like, look, I'm not here to, you know, hit you with a club of my religion. I'm, I'm here to, to learn truth. And I'm sure you're exactly the same, yeah. but the reason, the reason I bring up this conversation and, and I'm glad we talked a little bit about truth is for atheists, I'll say for atheists and Protestants is a little, you go about it a little bit differently. 
for atheists online and in person who criticize the church, the number one issue that they run into and the number one reason I'm not an atheist is because as soon as you step away from the church, especially for ex-members, step away from the church to criticize the church, you've now cut off the branch that you were sitting on hmm. to make your claim. Does that make sense? And yeah, here's what I, it does make sense. And I, and I'm like, I've said yeah. earlier, like while I'm yeah. sympathetic to that idea, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it was, I think I, I listened, I read the, the God delusion by Richard Dawkins mm -hmm. and he says something similar where it's like, it's funny that I learned like, mm -hmm. to be honest from yep. church and being honest, I honestly don't believe like, and that's right. really important to him. And that, yep. I kind of feel the same way as that. Like, it's not, yes. it's not that, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. And I, I think you can learn truth from, from all places, right? Mormonism has no monopoly on truth, right? And that's kind of, I think it was Brigham Young who said it, like, if it's true, it's Mormonism basically. Mm -hmm. But my point was, I love engaging atheists on this topic and talking about somebody who critiques without providing a worldview, I have yet to find, and there were some people who talked to you, but very, very seldom. Will you find an atheist who wants to have an in-depth conversation about morality? Because when, when you, the, yeah. ask, uh, so why is my worldview subpar? I guess like, just cause mm -hmm. like, I, 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 would I say, do believe I do believe that um, there's an objective truth worth, worth searching for mm -hmm. because I think ultimately when you know what is real, it, it can make your life better. Mm -hmm. And I use better in the same way that I feel like, um, like I don't, I don't have a problem with saying that there is an ideal out there, that there's okay. a better out there. Are you talking about uh, in, in grounds of morality as well? Like not just physical truth, but like good versus evil. Do you believe in good, good and evil actually exist? Oh, so that's interesting. I, I do. I, I like the idea that uh, good and evil is in everybody. Like, I don't think there's necessarily a person out there that is 100% evil and another person out there that's like 100% good. I think it's in all of us. And I think mm -hmm. that's like, which is, I think, I think the right attitude to have is to try to fix yourself. Like Jordan Peterson says, cause I mm -hmm. think as you fix yourself and you try to become like Christ, you try to become perfect. And, and Christ is like a, a story that I can, I can get on board with and saying, that's a cool story. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty, as far as like, whether he, like this, the story has lived on. It's clearly important in my mind. So I'm okay. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, yes. Like, like if, if, if we live in a materialistic world, like the material, like that, that is a positive claim that everything's material, right? Mm -hmm. um, and Latter-day Saints agree with that, by the way, that's a Joseph Smith proposition. Right. So, so if, if we live, yeah, where there's rules and, and things like that, there's, um, there's, I think, an uphill trajectory and a downhill trajectory trajectory and i think we should try to aim up like yeah so so so, so yeah go ahead well help me understand because and when we talk about sleight of hand right when we that other conversation we were having i feel like most atheists and i'm not talking about you necessarily i don't know where you stand on this most atheists have not thought about this long enough to to have an explanation of 
So my next question for you, you said there's good and evil in all of us. How do you determine what is good and what is evil? Right. As is there, is there an objective good in a a Mm -hmm. similar, well, I, I would run into the same issue that you have, like when you're trying to defend your beliefs, like it's like, well, I, I'm pretty sure this is the right direction. I'm pretty sure this is what God told me was Mm -hmm. what you might say, but I could be wrong. Right. Like I'm pretty sure. Kind of. I would say it's kind of a straw man of of us. I would say, I know, I I know 100% with 100% certainty that in practicality, you admitted that like you could be wrong. You could. Um, if it's not God speaking to me, sure. Right. Yeah. But if it is God speaking to me, I, I, that's knowledge. So, yeah. so, cause well, let me, let me say it this way. I don't think somebody who rejects God can coherently provide an argument or a worldview with objective morality. When I say objective, I mean, outside of us. Right. I think anybody can say, oh, yeah, that's I say I say objective reality exists, just like whether we think it exists or not. But, but morality it's like though. you would think that mm-hmm. God exists, whether you believe he exists or not. Right. Sure. Like so, there so, is a reality out there. I believe let, let's, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about obje- objective. OK, well, let me ask this question. Um, do you. Be- oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do, do, do you believe it's objectively morally wrong to kill another innocent human being um yeah that's tough i'd have to lean on the i don't know <laughs> okay and that's and i can respect that i think that's that's a better answer than most people will give because um, if you say yes then you get down the rabbit hole of okay well where does that standard come from and there's a million well, it's not just that it's that mm-hmm. there are exceptions sure well well uh, yes and no, because I said innocent. Do you, Don't you think do you, that there can be innocent people that are on both sides of like a war? I would say it's not moral to kill an innocent person. So it's not it's, moral. So are you like you're against wars? Um, if we're killing innocent people, yes. Nobody's 100% innocent, though. What do you what do you mean? What do you mean when you say innocent? I mean, innocent, like they're not trying to harm me or somebody else. So you're not innocent when you're engaged in a war then. So you could be um, killed. Well, in a no, the, the, no. So the church's stance on war is one that I hold. And it's basically when we are defending our defending our country, our rights, our liberty, our religion, uh, war is, is, is uh, permissible. But like, for example, like, I don't, I don't know a ton about this, but let's for a current event, right? Russia, Putin getting into Ukraine, I think that's wrong. Now, mm-hmm. there's conversations to be had about old Russia and you know who who does it belong to and all these things. I think what he's doing is is morally reprehensible, and he's going to be accountable. I think he knows that, and he's going to be held accountable to that. Hopefully, the Lord will have mercy on him. But if someone was coming to attack me and my family, um, I would feel justified killing. But but I'm not killing an innocent person. Like, does that make sense? I, I can't think of a, unless you can give me one, I can't think of a scenario where I would be killing or condoning killing of somebody who's not causing harm. Hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I don't know. I The thoughts that come to my head are, 
some of the philosophy ideas, I think it is, mm-hmm. is it a utilitarian that says mm-hmm. that it's okay to flip the switch? And when mm-hmm. you re, if you save more lives and then you yeah. have the Kantian view, for, it's yeah. Kantian view that says you can't flip the switch. So I guess mm-hmm. that would be a certain view. Um, yeah. Um, I don't, I yeah, don't there, know. There, there's more, like, tell me this, how, what's your stance on abortion? Um, it's kind of interesting. So I lean like, I'll give you an example. Some people are probably going to hate me now because I'm going to admit this, but when Roe v. Wade was overturned, that did not hurt my feelings. Mm, <laughs> but, okay. but at the same time, um, I under like, there's, um, it's kind of like, it's like a gradation. Okay. This kind of, this is kind of the thought process that I've gone through that I'm like, if you have to like dismember the body mm. of a, of a baby in order to end the abortion, I think that you're harming the body. But if there's some kind of type of abortion where you're inducing labor or something like that, and it's, um, and it's not touching the body, but you're just basically not making available the way for it to keep growing. I think there's kind of a definite line mm. there. So maybe that's where okay. my line would be is okay, like, so- uh, there's like chemical abortions and then there's uh, the actual second trimester. Okay. Uh, just like dismemberment basically. And I'm like, sure. Okay. So pretty clear line for me. I sure. don't know, but I, Do you- I, I'm very mm-hmm. persuadable in that front. Like I mm-hmm. have talked to some people that have had abortions and uh, they didn't have good resources. They, Mm-hmm. in order to be able to keep the baby. And it seems like they have a lot of regret that they wish they would have kept the baby, but they blame mm-hmm. themselves. They've been beating themselves up for, you know, 20 years. And even then they're not necessarily sure that that was necessarily a bad decision. And so anyway, okay. Can, I've heard some I... experiences of, mm-hmm. of people that have actually had abortions too. Um, and I, I would never make any kind of judgment on someone that was either persuaded into that or felt like that was the only thing they could do. Like, like Mm -hmm. that's really sad too. So I'm totally with you on that point. Let me, let me ask you one question. Then we can wrap up. I apologize for for talking so much, but um, my, my kind of my final question for you on this, on this morality topic, it's such a fascinating topic to, to discuss. Would you say that there are some, morals or, or let's say it like this, are there some, um, are some people's morals better than others? Like, like, would you ever posit that your morality is better than another person's? Um, uh, yeah, sure. Okay. And okay. So help me understand. So, um, help me understand by what, by what standard are you judging what's better and what's worse. Like, does it have to go, does it go back to the harm? Cause you, you mentioned like dismembering the baby is ha- harmful. So that's, you kind of shy away from that. Mm-hmm. T- tell me what you, th- what you think about that. Um, Cause I'm trying to figure out what your standard is. And I, and I, to be frank, I haven't yet heard like, this is the standard, right? And that's, that's why I'm not an atheist or that's why I, I that's one of the, the pillars that keeps me from leaving theism mm-hmm. is that to leave theism or at least to criticize theism on any moral grounds whatsoever. Not that, not that you've done that. I don't think you've done that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, a lot of people do 
you are removing yourself from the worldview that justifies your righteous indignation of bad things happening in religion, mm-hmm. right? For that, for that parent who who says the church is harming the children. Okay, well, let's take let's let's say I don't believe in God anymore because how could God let this happen? It's like okay, you don't believe in God. By what standard are you making a judgment on the church? Why is it bad? Even if the church was causing suicide, which it's not, like why said, would that be? Why would that be bad? Right? I would describe it as the standard mm-hmm. that uh, we've developed up to this point as humanity. I feel like mm-hmm. uh, that standard has changed over humanity. Like even in the Bible, there's some stuff in there that is not mm-hmm. good. Like so, I don't know. Um, well, so, so I don't see, it's interesting. Cause it's like, you say that you have a standard, but you don't know what the standard is. Oh no. I, I know what the standard is for sure. It's so the words. Of I it. guess. Mm-hmm. So do you believe that you have, there's no more standard to be revealed or like you have the standard now? Oh, it can be, you know, it can be, it can be, um, God's laws can even be changed, but I would take a worldview of objective morality, meaning Morality, because in this, how can is it be very, objective if God's laws mm-hmm. can change? I don't understand that. What I mean by objective is it's not it's not decided by humans. It's deci- and it's not even decided by God. That it's decided like by kind of like mm-hmm. a wiggle around because then a human could say God changed it. But sure, and, and if, they could be wrong, absolutely. Right, but yeah. it, but it's a it's a worldview that posits a standard that is outside of humans. But I don't right? think you escape the problem that you're positing on me though, because you still have the problem by not being able to know exactly what God wants by being an infallible human. No, this goes back to the definition of knowledge. You can know for sure, right? That That's why this all comes together. Right? You and, can't and, know for sure. God can know that he for sure gave you something, but you can't know for sure that it was God that gave it to you. Oh, I can. I can know for sure. I do know for sure. That's the coolest part about this whole thing. Yeah, see, that doesn't make sense to me. Okay, like, and I think it, it from gets rash- you out of the problem. I see how it gets you out of the problem, but it doesn't make sense to me how that actually happens. Okay, um, let me ask you this question: If God actually existed and God actually spoke to you, let's say, let's say, um, let's say you were Joseph Smith and you're praying in the garden mm-hmm. or in the sacred grove. And God the Father and Jesus Christ, and I'm sure the Holy Ghost was present, mm-hmm. appear to you, and they tell you everything that he told them. Mm-hmm. Would you say you still didn't know, that, that you still actually didn't know that God existed? Well, I would certainly be more certain if that happened than my current state, but I'd be even more certain okay. if you were with me, Hayden, and you said mm-hmm. you saw it too. And then I'd be even more certain mm-hmm. if it could be caught on like video on our mm-hmm. cell phone and then we could share it to people. But but is there anything then, that could get you to 100% I, or no? Um, well, in the similar, in a, like you could get pretty sure like with, with. Uh, by, by the way, you are, you are giving Jacob Hansen's model, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's all he, it is. He, he's caught. Of... He has caught God on video. What? No, no, <laughs> no. He is all he's saying, and you probably have talked to him about this, and maybe his your video. No, I've heard. I've heard his model. It's just yeah. that all he's saying I, is what I you're saying. I've is... with him on Facebook before, where <laughs> I told him that we have the same worldview. He just mm. has special pleading when it comes to the church. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we have the. Well, we're operating in the same 
way. I think it's very similar. I, I do. I, I, I agree with most of what you're saying other than maybe it's semantics. Maybe it's how I define an objective worldview, mm-hmm. right? Because if, if God speaks to you, how, how more sure can you be? Like, if, if he actually you has the power. The pro- like, what, what do oh, you yeah. think I would say in response? How do you know it was God? How, how do you know you're not crazy? Yeah, absolutely. But right. on, a, on a rational level, I 100% agree with you. But I'm convinced because I accept words of modern prophets and, and, and they've proved true to me, we'll say. We'll say that that collective witness has, has brought me to this point where I have, in my mind, discovered that there is this underlying foundation of spirituality in all things, which, well, again, is, is that foolproof? Wait, Probably not. But, are but you there's... Denying- are you denying that there's some any kind of problem with the claims? Every of, worldview has problems. Okay, so how do you how do you update those without just mm-hmm. leaning on? Well, this is a really strong part of my belief because you can't have morals without my belief. So therefore, I don't need to update anything. Well, like that, I don't. I, I'm not saying you. Yeah, I'm not saying you can't have morals. I'm saying there's no justification for morality outside for atheists. of atheists. That's fine. But then yeah. what about the problems with the worldview? the weak spots like how do you um uh, are you talking about this are you talking about this example specifically like how do you know if god's speaking to you well this is something i kind of want to talk about (laughs) oh i guess i would like to find out the common ground of like why do you think the secular movement has been so popular why is it so popular i think i have an answer for that okay go ahead i I had an experience in college where I joined an organization that was founded on ideals. I won't won't tell you what it is because I don't want to offend anybody. It was in my experience, in my observation, it was very common for individuals to join this organization and leave their religion. A lot of them were Latter-day Saints because they wanted the ideals kind of like you're talking about but they didn't want to be held accountable or punished for not meeting them. They, they wanted, and they wouldn't say it like this, but, but time and time again, it was obvious to me that the secular movement removes accountability. It ultimately removes agency. If you get down to what agency really is, Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it removes, and I don't think a lot of people go into atheism or secular, the secular or humane society movement thinking this. I, I don't think they would say it like this, but I cannot help, but through my perspective, see it like that. I do. I'll, I'll say this. Mm-hmm. I have an older brother. Both of my older brothers, not active in the church. My oldest brother once told me, and he's removed his records from the church and he's an atheist now. He told me years ago in a personal conversation that the reason he left the church is because it made him feel guilty, that he felt judged. And why why should he let an organization judge him? Mm-hmm. And so to escape judgment of his actions, which he, he, he did some things the church was not okay with, he said, well, there is no God. Like that that was his stepping stone into atheism was I do not want I should not be held accountable. And that word should is funny because it's a value claim. But 
But I think to answer your question, the secular movement is so popular because people do not want to be held accountable for their actions. That may be a hot take, and and you would probably disagree. And I'm I'm willing to to hear you you out. And I'm sure some people are genuine. And I'm sure some people don't view it that way. Um, okay. But over and over again, I I find a common theme of mindset that kind of mindset. Well, I keyed on to something you said about your brother, and that was yeah. that he was not going to be held accountable to an organization. I think there's yeah. a difference between an organization and God. That's just okay. that's that's the first thing. Um, like one one thing that I keep on hearing is that like uh, how bad it is that you're not like um, keeping your covenants, and it's just like, well, I don't think I made those covenants with God. I mm. feel like I made those covenants with an organization that I mm. lost my loyalty to. So, okay. I mean, I mean. It, even even in some of <laughs> some of the promises were not to God. It was like to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. So there's but you that. understand you understand the connection there from a Latter Day Saint worldview. That's the same thing. That, that it's uh, yes, but if you no longer believe that, sure, totally. You're, yep. mm-hmm. like I I haven't. Yeah, For, yeah. I would agree from your but worldview. Anyway. And, yeah, and, cer- probably, and certainly we can both think mm-hmm. of an example where someone makes a promise to somebody that uh, they should break because they, they should break. Right. Or, and or I'm sure me. we both can think of an example of any, like just any, I know, use your imagination of a promise that someone could make to somebody, but they should break it. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> I'm thinking about something specifically. I don't. I'm just yeah, thinking mean? of like a kid that makes a promise to a predator that they want oh, to live parents. Like oh, there's lots of okay, situations okay. where there okay, are, yeah. you can make a promise to somebody and it was okay. not made on sure and full I, knowledge or if that's my and, and, case, it wasn't made on full to, knowledge, it wasn't made on yeah. Um it wasn't it, there's a power dynamic thing there where totally. you know yeah. and not not to regress, but this is an example of cutting off the branch that you were once sitting on. You're using the word should, which is a value claim. Oh, and that was the other thing I wanted to talk about. You keep on saying that I can't say should. I would like to posit that you should not be able to say should until mm -hmm. you can prove to everybody what God says. Okay. Yeah. And I I disagree with that fundamentally. I I started from the beginning saying that there is no, there's no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Ability. There's no possibility for me to exert my communication with God onto you. Like that's well, impossible. Until like, you can do that. There's, I don't think you say should, unless it's just should for mm-hmm. you. You can't say should for no. everybody. Here, here's the difference though. I would um, claim an objective source that is equal for all people. An atheist, I don't think can or wants to do that even at least. Reality is pretty objective. Like glass, glass mm-hmm. doors, will hit your face just as much as they hit my face. Sure. And I, yeah. I think it's good to, to, to warn people, you know, from being physically harmed, but I'm talking about like morality. Like, like if, if somebody comes up to me, no matter who they are and they say they're going to cheat on their spouse, I would say you shouldn't do that. Right. And if you're telling me I shouldn't be, it's funny, right? I shouldn't be able to use the word should. Right. Well, I, do, mm-hmm. do you not believe that there are mm-hmm. actual consequences to like cheating on your spouse that make your life worse? If like, you can get away with it, it'd probably make it better. Uh, the, you the, don't think people... Mm-hmm. There are some, and from a secular mind point... Peterson says that mm-hmm. I really like, and he basically says, you can lie, but they will always catch up to you. Yeah, but Jordan Peterson, until he embraces 
the idea that there's objective morality. He is the same problem that you do. As brilliant as he is, he, and he he'll probably destroy me if he, you know, what we start talking about this. And he would say things I have no clue about. But well, if, what I'm mm -hmm. saying though is that yeah. it, psychologically, like mm. you are going to be in a living hell if you try to lie to yourself, and it always catches up to you. Like you, there is I mean, a reality out there. In fact, I would mm -hmm. argue there's an a objective. Mm -hmm. real way that we should act but that's assuming that still... lies are always bad which is an objective claim right which is where i'm seeing the issue here right if i if well then now you're getting to like spirit of the law letter of the law kind of uh, in um, my mind in, in a similar way yeah. so let me give an example okay like there like someone can give you a platitude of some sort and there's wisdom in it and we call kind of all recognize the wisdom in it just because you can deconstruct it in some way, somehow, like, so never lie. Well, what about if your your wife says, how does this dress look, right? We've mm -hmm. always go to that example. Mm -hmm. So there's like a spirit of law and like sure. the letter of the law of. I'll, I'll ask my wife, do you want me to be honest or do you want, what do you want me to say? <laughs> like, yeah. and I know Jacob Hansen's talked about this before, that there is a, a hierarchy of, of principles of, of morality, which I can see where it's coming from, but I've yet to wrestle yeah. with that. Um, you know, maybe if, if God allows it, maybe that's the best way to say it, but I think that's, that's shaky ground. Yeah. Well, I, mm -hmm. I think I can say should, I, I don't think there's a problem with me saying should. Okay. Yeah. And, and just like you don't I, think there's a problem with you saying should. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. In so, so the difference, let's, let's, let's understand the difference there though. You're saying that until I can prove it to everybody, I shouldn't be able to do it. And I'm saying until you, uh, claim an objective moral standard, like, like I see yours as a logical issue where I don't see mine as a logical issue. I see, I see mine as, I don't know. How would you, how would you categorize what you're, it's actually a very similar problem just at a different okay. level. That's how I'm looking at it. Okay. And, and by, by what means? Well, I'm operating with the good faith that we live in this world and we kind of both have a good idea of what we should do. Right. And I'm giving you that, but mm -hmm. if you're not going to give me that I can say should, then I don't feel like I, you have the same problem of not being able to define what objective moral is. Morals are objective. Well, you, you here, here's, can't tell mm -hmm. me what God says here's here's the difference between our worldviews if my world view is true then there's objective moral standard meaning outside of humans if your world worldview is true there's not no i think it is outside of humans i think there is like okay. a reality so, out there outside of humans that okay so tell yeah okay tell me how you came to that conclusion that i've what's the standard sure what like what's the standard of outside of humans that you're talking about like how did you discover this no, actually, it can't be outside of humans. I take that back. Okay, so because, that's by nature I subjective. I think it's, I think it, well, it's subjectively human. I think sure. there is a human morality. Okay. Would you, would you be in the camp of saying that whatever humans decide is moral is moral? Is that a definition of morality? Um, as long as all the humans can freely talk about what they think is moral, and then we all kind of agree on which uh, ideas are best. Okay, so where does that standard of free speech come from? Like, why do we need, like, where, do you believe in free speech? Oh, it goes back to the idea that uh, having more eyeballs on something gives you a better better view okay. of it. 
So the singular, okay. a singular, a singular view is pretty myopic. Okay. How, how many I, and I, I, forgive me for probing, but this is, this is, I love talking about this and I, and I really want to get to the root of it. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I have yet to find an atheist provide an objective standard of truth. <laughs> Like, so um, if you were the first one to do well, it, if, if your definition of objective truth is your definition, it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me that another atheist doesn't think that God gave him the well, objective well, truth. how do you, that's fair. That's a fair criticism. <laughs> how do you define objective though? Like what's like, it's, I don't know how else do you define it other than it's outside the only of reason I use objective. Mm -hmm. It's not because I think it's some kind of unchanging magical thing. It's just that I think there is a truth out there. Um, you keep saying truth out there. Like there yeah. is reality. You're, I think is that synonymous with reality is what you would say. Yeah. It's but very reality it's very, doesn't. It's very closely related. Um, so there's limits to. There are limits. Okay. Limits. There, are, about more, there, about, there are preferences, yeah. right? And okay, I'm not yes. trying to place this objective morality on preferences because we all agree that you can have different preferences. Yeah. Like uh, I, I should, once heard. I don't need to make a morality claim on what kind of clothing we should all wear because there's different uh, people with different preferences. Like, sure. Well, you've heard, um, I forget who, who said it. Is it, um, oh, it must be, oh, if you listen to Jordan Peterson, uh, Nietzsche. Nietzsche apparently said, I haven't read the book, but I haven't said, read a lot. I, I know him through other people and i did mm -hmm. read the book that there's a guy that uh let me look at his name i don't want to butcher it but go ahead that's okay here's what nietzsche said and and i i think nietzsche from what i know about him and what he teaches or what he taught he is as honest as an atheist can get in that he's followed atheism to its logical conclusion which ultimately is nihilism, but here, here's how he said it. Morality without God is simply, I'm paraphrasing, simply power plus preference. Hmm. Meaning the per, it's kind of like, um, play, uh, is it Plato? Plato's Republic. Um, it's been a long, I read it in college, it's been a long time. If I remember correctly, Plato defines justice as what is right according to the stronger. In other words, if you're taking a materialistic world, let's say like um, survival of the fittest, basically. Like if you're in the jungle mm -hmm. and you're in your Simba, you're the king of the jungle. You get to decide what is right and what is wrong because you have the power to enforce punishment. And the Book of Mormon is wonderful. I'm 42 talks all about this. Uh -huh. But without God, ultimately... Um, pref uh, morality becomes power plus preference, which is kind of what I hear you saying. That if enough uh, I get on it, no, no, I'm saying there's a difference between preference. Uh, and actually, as far as the idea that morality comes from the powerful, I would say that a, a society is most powerful when they can incorporate as much of the margins as they can, because that okay. includes more viewpoints. Like I was saying, like the mm. more viewpoints that you have, I think the stronger mm. your idea of reality is. So, okay. so you would be, if you only focus on one portion of humanity, then you would probably have a weaker world worldview than if you took in all of humanity. 
Mm. Okay. Can you, and help me, help me understand what you mean by weaker, because that's another value claim. It's uh, these words of better and weaker and stronger. Weaker, and being, those that probably, weaker mm -hmm. being those that they can't take care of themselves. Okay. So you're using like well-being as a standard versus suffering. That's, that's a common one. Well, well-being. Yeah. Like, like healthy and strong compared right. to weak and sick. Right. Um, Jacob Hansen did a whole video on this. I don't know if you've seen that. I would suggest your viewers to go watch that. It's really good. Yeah. That's getting into mm -hmm. like, I don't really love those videos because like, I don't know. I feel like when you interact with someone, there's just, I, I don't, mm. I understand that you want to go all the way down, mm. but that doesn't necessarily help solve Mormonism problems. So I'm not sure why I go down that far. Okay. Oh yeah. I would totally agree. Yeah. If you want to discuss Mormonism, but, but here's the issue though, if you want to discuss or anyone wants to, and this actually happened, I don't know if you saw Bill Reel's conversation with Jacob or several yeah, conversations. I did. I did. I, and it was frustrating. Yeah. I don't, I don't, it was frustrating for me, maybe for the opposite reason. I saw Bill wanting to sling mud at the church and Jacob was saying, we, I'm willing to have these conversations if you can grant the level one and two conversations, which is God exists and, and Christ is, is Jesus is the Christ. And it didn't seem like Bill was willing to do that because when you don't do that, when you have an atheist and a Mormon, you disagree. We disagree. Not, not you, but the atheist what... and the Mormon, we disagree at level one conversation. We're critiquing Mormonism from an atheist worldview. I would agree with you. Mormonism is crazy if you reject the existence of a God. Well, I would argue right? that the yeah. morals exist kind of like, you know, the mm -hmm. belief that Mormons have that like the laws existed before God. Mm. Oh yeah. I still have that view. I just okay. don't have the God view. Maybe okay. that's a good way to explain it. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And I think Bill real would also agree with that. So that that reason that mm -hmm. that debate was frustrating for me is because they weren't mm. talking uh -oh. at the same level they were yeah past each when, other when you say laws though like the laws that i'm talking about are moral laws like that i would assume you're not talking about morality like you're talking about laws of physics or gravity or like reality because mm. because they're separate right I forget about Rea how long it's been since i've um <laughs> been yeah for, i guess i just i don't see that being a barrier mm. to letting go of extra beliefs that okay. I don't believe. Okay, that's that's fair, and I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not necessarily critiquing that. I'm just. I'm trying to figure out what's the standard. And is well, is there an objective standard? And I, I, I don't know if you would agree. I think you'd have to say there is no objective standard. Like that's not even your claim. Mm, and no, that's the it's not. It's it. I yeah. It seems, it seems that um, it doesn't matter if there's an objective standard is what I said is because we, we act as if there is, as, as, as society, we act as if there is a standard and we're trying to find a better standard. So we mm -hmm. have decided what the standard is. Um, I'm not sure it helps to have the belief that there's an objective one when we can't mm -hmm. know what it is. Like, I mean, you, you sure. claim to have a standard, yeah. but we don't, can't test it. We can't know oh, if you your standard is oh. the right one. Oh, absolutely. You can live all the laws of the gospel of Jesus Christ and see how it changes your life. 
take take out the people who cause issues like the bishop who offended you or who did something horrible or said something stupid live the gospel of Jesus Christ as taught by ancient modern prophets mm-hmm. that's testable because the promise is if you do this this will happen that's a principle right in, in essence I I, I I would I would disagree that it's not testable Mm. Yeah, and and I think morality. What, is what do you think I'm general. thinking right now? What, like, what do you think I'm thinking? That I think, you're thinking, I think you're thinking that I talk too much and we need to be done. No, <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking that. Um, I'm thinking that that doesn't help me know that something is true. Okay, yeah. or not, or. Mm-hmm. Well. If let me go. Only, let me go. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to go down this other path. Uh, okay. and then we got sidetracked because I yeah. said that you can't say should either. I shouldn't yeah, have yeah. done that. I should well, not have done that. <laughs> well, without a standard, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> By the way, I just I want to just. I hope people watching this don't feel like there's contention. I hope you don't feel contention. I know. I know. I'm. I don't. I don't feel contention. Okay. Like I think spot that we're not getting past. So maybe yeah, we'll have to think about it longer. I, I just wanted to just pause and say, like, I think you are wonderful. Like you are very pleasant to talk with and interesting to talk with. So like, I, I hope that you, that you are feeling the same way I am. Like this is fun. Yeah. Um. So I would I would say that uh, whatever good that the church has to offer. I don't think has to be disrupted by like knowledge mm-hmm. of church history. Like, okay. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Yep. However, it seems to anyway, right? Like it seems that people learn church history or um, they, they start doing like an outsider test of faith and then they start to lose confidence in their, mm-hmm. the, the church that they were brought up to believe their childhood faith. So, and that's common across all religions, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I guess my question is, is that a fruit of the church that they have produced so many of people like me that are swayed by simple church history? Like, is that a fruit of the church or um, Does that make sense? Are you? What I'm to say? Um, yeah, but potentially. Let me ask you a few cl- clarifying questions. Are you saying that that was that you said you read saints and that kind of led you down the path? Can you help me understand, like more specifically, was it plural marriage or raising the priesthood or what was? Well, the first thing what, was that I learned a bunch of stuff that I kind of dismissed as being anti-Mormon lies, and then I learned that it was true. So that was hard. Well, there's a difference between a truth and a truth t- framed in a way that's, well, that, you know, I guess, well, here's an example. I kind of, I found <laughs> at one point early when I was married, I got this bright idea and I was like, I'm going to go look at Wikipedia and see what the world says about Mormonism because it's clearly mm. true. What kind of mental gymnastics do they have to do to like mm. come up with it not being true? Like that was sincerely like what I was going into Wikipedia thinking. Mm. And then I read about Fanny Auger. And then I was like, well, that's weird. 
I never learned that Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith didn't have more than one wife. I definitely would have learned about that in church history. If Joseph Smith had more than one wife, like I have never heard of this before. This must be a lie. And then I stopped researching and I kind of said to myself, like, it doesn't even matter if I find the original document and it really verifies that this Fanny Alger person actually existed. Like, I can't really know truth in any other way except by praying. And so I couldn't ever verify if that document was real or not. And so then I just. Can decided. I ask what year this was? When, when did this happen? This happened um, probably around 2008 or nine, maybe. Okay. okay. But just when Wikipedia was starting to gain some steam as being like a quick source to go look mm -hmm. something up. Mm -hmm. And I was this already is like using the birth it. of. Yeah. Yeah, it was really early. Like it was when Office was making a joke about, "Hey, Wikipedia, great source. Everybody can write anything they want." Right? It was yeah, about. Right. It was around that same time. Okay. So, um, but I was using it a lot in a lot of other places. Like whether I was had to look something up really quick for school, it was just a really, it was a quick source and it would list its own sources, so I could go look up the actual source. Right. So, um, so anyway, I. I, I, that's when I first learned that Joseph Smith or first um, that's when I first heard the claim that Joseph Smith had more than one wife. And so then I dismissed it. And then um, I, I really didn't, I didn't go to the, down the rabbit hole after that. I just kind of backed off and I said that the only way that I can know anything is through uh, revelation. And that was that, like, I didn't really, I didn't investigate anymore. Um, so then I read Saints, you know, fast forward uh, a lot of years. Like 10 years, maybe. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't read it until 2019. So fast forward, okay. probably about 10 years. Yeah, you're right. So, um, yeah. So then I read Saints and then I learned about Fanny Auger in Saints. So um, just that it was a legitimate claim, like surprised me, I guess mm -hmm. enough that even a church produced source mm -hmm. was talking about it. So obviously okay. it was good enough. To... And, 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 we'll... and then I also read the original sources with it and the way that the church portrayed it in saints was different than the way I would have summarized it. Mm -hmm. And then it was like the very first time I ever saw anything that the church did as biased. Like I always thought the church was really objective about the way they presented information. I never, I never thought that like, I just, so anyway. Mm -hmm. And and what can I ask? What about the Fanny Elger story bothered you? Was it just simply one more than one wife? Or is it, was there any specific element that you were morally um, abhorrent to? Um, I'm trying to remember. I thought it was weird that he asked the uncle for like permission first. And, um, like it felt like he was trying to make sure he didn't make certain people mad before asking her. Mm -hmm. Like, like he was trying to, I don't know. I, I, I know. I thought that was weird. Okay. So, so here's one thought I have on this. Um, from, from, would you consider yourself an atheistic worldview or how would you just like agnostic or mm. from a, from a non LDS 
worldview maybe is the best way to say it. I, well, sorry, I should have let you. I guess it's probably agnostic is probably the best way to describe it. Okay. So, so kind of going back to what we were talking about before, here's my point about, about Fanny from a non Latter-day Saint perspective. I I would, I would dare to say non-Christian perspective because there's obviously plural marriage in the Bible. We can talk about that, but from a non-Christian perspective, um, it doesn't look very good. It, it, I, I almost don't blame you for for feeling that way right if your presupposition is maybe the church is not true it is um how do you you know there's issues with with the morality and we've talked about that more than we we need to but well how do you deal with people that still have that morally moral standard mm -hmm. because they are in the church because i i still definitely had at least at that point i had the hope that the church was true it wasn't that i I like, so I, I wasn't looking sure. at that story from an antagonistic point mm -hmm. of view. I wanted the church to be true. Yeah. I was kind of disappointed to learn that information. Okay. Here's my question to you. When you were active Latter-day Saint, did you believe that um, Abraham was a, was a prophet of God? Uh, what do you mean? Like when you were practicing Latter-day Saint, the, the prophet Abraham, mm -hmm. did you believe that he was a prophet of God? Well, sure. Like, I don't okay. know. Did, I did, wouldn't. Did you know about his plural marriages? Um, not really, I guess. We okay. Not out. I mean, getting the church history, I realized that Joseph Smith justified his plural marriage from the Old Testament, but well, I'm God, not sure God, that I God, ever, just, God justified I'm not it, sure right? I ever studied that <laughs> or was aware of it. And I knew like a lot of people had a problem with like, worrying about whether they were going to have like sister wives in heaven. And I just remember mm -hmm. thinking, I'm not worried about it because I knew that God was good and God would do the right thing. And if that was the right thing, then I wouldn't be worried mm -hmm. about it. Like, I just, I don't know. Sure. I just didn't worry about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think from a Latter-day Saint perspective, that's, that's a logical conclusion that, that if God is good and he is fair, mm -hmm. then I don't have to worry about it from a non, oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, so it's when you lose your loyalty to the church, though, that you uh, all of a sudden, all of those things that weren't problems before become problems. And I mm -hmm. understand that you think that once you leave the church, you have no moral standards, but somehow well, we still do. <laughs> let's let's clarify that. I, and I've, I've said a couple of times, I want to clarify. I'm not saying atheists don't have morals or moral standards. I'm saying they cannot justify them because they do have them. I, my brother yeah. is an example. He has a moral standard. He lives his life in a hierarchy of evil and good, right? He, he does things that he thinks will benefit his life morally and his marriage and his children. Those are moral decisions that he's placing. My critique of that is he has no um, standard by which to judge, truly judge what is better versus what is worse. It's kind of like, oh yeah, society decides this is what's worked before. It's do like, you, do you believe mm -hmm. that God is still, interacting with your brother um sure i think god interacts with every person every day and so do you believe that god helps other people understand what the standards better worse is um potentially yes yeah I, I think i don't think church membership is a requirement for revelation mm -hmm. i think the divine can talk with whoever whoever he wants so from from your worldview wouldn't you say that like i still have a standard then 
from my worldview, everyone has an objective standard. Are they going to recognize it? No. Well, if I'm to- recognizing it, but I'm using like a different language with it, or I can't, I, I, I don't understand God in the right way. Like that doesn't necessarily um, change that I have a standard, right? Um, well, I, with my worldview, um, let me make sure I'm saying this correctly. With my worldview, yeah, we all have this. From your own worldview, I have not yet you, I have not yet heard you um, refer to what is the standard. Well, like, can you tell me what, like, can you tell me what that is? And, and if if so, then yeah. Do you do you believe um, any like a young Earth or old Earth or uh, old probably? Okay, so as far as like when humans were developing and they didn't mm-hmm. have like a knowledge of God because they couldn't even articulate a story necessarily, mm-hmm. did they mm-hmm. have objective truth? Yeah, I, I have objective morals. Um, yes, let me let me kind of explain okay. my take on this. Obviously, I don't know for sure, and this is not something that I. I'm trying to understand. Yeah. I'm trying. If I can understand where you're coming from, maybe I can understand why I don't have mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. a standard because sure. from what I see, the standard just is there. <laughs> so, okay. And that, and that has hints of LDS theology attached to it because we would say eternal and law. That's, right? Maybe that's why, because I grew up LDS, but yeah, um, it, but, but the, I think the fair question to ask you and, and I, we don't need to beat a dead horse, but mm-hmm. is um, what is like, or, or I should say it like this, what makes something good or bad? Like, for example, when I asked you, is it okay to kill an innocent person? You said, you don't know. And that's, I think that's a good answer for your worldview because there is no objective standard to say yes or no. For me, it was no. You cannot kill an innocent person. I would say that that's objective, right? I think that's fruits of your lack of lack of objectivity. I don't, you know, I don't know. Well, it was that, also but. when you said I missed that you said innocent too. So oh, okay, maybe there was a misunderstanding there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, what were we just talking about? I, I, what were we just saying before? That? Well, I wanted to ask, like, if yeah. Like before there was like at the idea oh, of a monotheistic mm-hmm. God, for example, did they mm-hmm. have standards? Mm-hmm. So there's two ways you can look at this. I personally don't believe that the Neanderthals or the cavemen or whatever the scientific word is for those individuals. I do not believe those were children of God. I believe the first children of God were Adam and Eve. And I believe Adam and Eve were on the earth 6,000 years ago. Now, is the earth a lot older than that? Absolutely. Was there animals and people before them? Absolutely. But so in Jordan, did you ever mm-hmm. listen to Jordan Peterson's uh, Maps of Meaning? I started, never finished. Um, was I probably that got why? through. You got into like some of that stuff. Um, no, it was just had other things. Yeah, is there anything specific you're 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 thinking about? Well, from just that? the way that he describes how um, ideas have evolved, he very much takes the scientific view mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, the secular world is kind of discovering about human history. He would not, he, he would believe in basically common ancestors, like were cousins to like, okay. he, he, right. Like he would, he would believe in evolution, I guess is the best sure. way. I guess you believe in evolution too, but I believe in evolution, but not of humans. You're saying there was something special about Adam and Eve. And so like, well, 
I don't know. Like he, he talks a lot about the earliest stories in the Bible. And then he also talks about like where they came from. And it doesn't mm. seem to be, it seems to be like these oral stories that were passed down for a really long mm. time. And he said that they must've been important if they were remembered mm. and passed on. And that's why they were written down. Okay. Um, and so it's less of a, like God dictated it more of a tradition that was passed down. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me clarify a little bit about my position on Adam and Eve. Um, here's kind of a funny question for you. Do you, um, well, when you were a Latter-day, believing Latter-day Saint, did you believe that Adam had a belly button? Did you ever think about that? I did think about it. I just didn't think it was important. So, <laughs> okay. I think it's very important. So um, yes or no? The answer is yes. He did have um, a belly button. Oh yeah. He was born and she was born the same way we were born. Um, of but a different spirit was breathed into them. Um, I would, well, their physical bodies were created by our heavenly parents physically in the same way that we are born is what I would say. And this, mm -hmm. I think this is a Parley P, Parley P. Pratt idea that started a long time ago. Um, I think this also solves the issue of why does the church not practice gay marriage? Um, and, and in my mind, the reason is because you cannot do what our heavenly parents are doing unless you have a male and a female, mm -hmm. um, which is to populate worlds. Um, I believe we are all not only spirit children of God, but physical offspring of our heavenly parents. That's why we have divine Godhood is because we are their physical children, starting with Adam and Eve anyway. And then you have the fall and, and the curse of the earth anyway. But, but to answer your question you know, about young earth versus old earth, I take a young um, garden of Eden approach, but an old earth, like earth could be eons old. I don't know. Okay. Well, so. Um, do you think that he, here's some ideas that I got from Jordan Peterson and I mm -hmm. think I agree with him. Okay. Um, as we became scientific, we started to read the Bible in a scientific way, but it was never meant to be read mm. in a scientific literal way. Sure. Like what are your views on that? Um, yes, I have heard, I, I think I could agree with that, but I also have heard, and this may be totally wrong. I really have not verified this. So people should look it up for themselves that the order of creation, even as taught in Genesis actually aligns with the scientific understanding of the creation of the earth. Hmm. When I say creation, I mean evolution of the earth, right? That there was that there was a sphere and then there was the water and then the earth and then the plants and then the animals like that. Even if, even from an atheistic worldview, if you take the big bang, even that this earth or life is created in that manner year yeah. after year. So, so, you know, that maybe that doesn't really answer your question, but um, I, I'd be okay saying that, that it, scientifically Moses wasn't thinking about science probably. Yeah. Yeah. You well, don't take it literally. You take it no, as like, no. like stories like passed down. Uh-huh. Okay. But in Important stories, like, I'll be honest, when I went through my collapse of belief, that story of Adam and Eve came alive for me in mm. a way that I had never seen it before. Like, wow. it seems like a very, very, very true story. So. Wait, tell me about that. Um, 
it seems like after your faith, after your faith crisis or, or during, like, I oh, feel during. like that story resonated with the experience of having a collapse of belief. Oh, wow. Okay. Do you want to talk about that at all? That seems like a pretty personal. Well, no, it's, it's not. I mean, it, in the story, it would be like you take the fruit of knowledge. And I felt like I learned something and mm. I was cast out of the garden. I felt like I was cast out of oh. a more simplistic worldview. And I was out in the lone and dreary world where like I had to kind of figure out my own mm. way. Like there's okay. definitely a feeling of when you have a collapse of belief and you can no longer like honestly participate in your childhood religion, mm-hmm. it feels very lonely. You feel out in the lone and dreary world and I don't know. And as far as that, I'm using that analogy. What I feel like I'm doing is I'm, I am trying to make the right sacrifices and I am trying to figure out what is what. Um, and it is interesting how you just, you can't go back. You can't just go back to the garden. Like it just mm-hmm. doesn't work that way. Yeah. I, I can appreciate and respect what you're saying. I think that, that that aligns actually perfectly with what you've experienced. Yeah, for sure. And Did I, you, yeah. Uh, well, I was just going to ask a follow-up, like, did that, um, did, did you use Jordan Peterson? Like, was he an influence in you seeing it that way? Or did you? No, I have never heard him talk about it like that. Um, okay. I think, yeah, I, I, I was listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson though. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was seeing stories in a different way yeah. and in my own, my own experiential way. Yeah. Either when I listen to Jordan Peterson, either I walk away feeling smarter or I walk away feeling a lot more dumb. (laughs) Like just listening to him, I'm like, wow, he's really smart. So I'm I'm glad though. Like, well, I think that story is really true on a lot of levels. mm -hmm. Like, and and that bugs some secular, materialistic, atheist types Mm. because they're like, yeah, you can read, you can interpret into a story. Like Sam Harris does this thing with a with a he just grabs a book out of the library and it happens to be a cookbook and he throws open the book and then he goes and, and he reads this recipe and he interprets into all of this meaning. And so, and he uses that to show like, well, there's nothing special about any story. It's just the way you interpret it, blah, 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 blah. Mm. So, yeah. And I can kind of agree with that. I think what he's missing is the intent of the author. What what was intended by the words? Maybe. Um, it's just, it's weird how like the Adam and Eve, like that's not the only way you can look at the Adam and Eve story. And so it's interesting to me, like mm-hmm. it was pretty profound when I looked at it like that, like, I don't yeah. know how to explain it. It was like, I've known, no, this, you story. Were, I've, I've yeah. known this story all of my life and it like came alive for me. So it was yeah, you, I mean, you were living it like that yeah. makes total sense. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate you sharing that. That's a, that's a really, and I think that's even helpful for Latter-day Saints. If there's any Latter-day Saints watching this, I think that's helpful to 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 kind of um what's the word i'm looking for like empathize with those who who experience what you experience i think that's great right it's good um well i I guess what i was trying to get at a little bit is just how you know maybe a hundred years ago or maybe even yeah like a hundred years ago people would have rejected the old earth completely right Mm mm-hmm and, and they would have said that, like, you kind of, you have to believe this in order to be like a good believer in God, because God can't be this and this. But then 
we've, but you, mm. you along with others have kind of adjusted and adapted your belief to include a way for the old earth to be there. And so I guess I'm, there, there seems to be a, some issues with the way that people say, well, you, in order to be a believer in God, you have to believe this, but then they're wrong about this later on. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Sure. Because um, it used I, to be like Darwin against everybody else. And now there's several theists that are okay yeah. with Darwin's theories. Sure. I, I would, I would maybe argue that a lot of people felt that way, but I'm not sure every single person on the planet felt that way. That may have been the most popular belief, but to say that everybody felt that way, I, I, I don't, I don't know if that's the most accurate or I don't know, know if using absolute language is, is accurate there. Okay. Um, and, and I would also, my, that's point one, point two would be, I think at least for regarding scripture, when I think of scripture, when I think of the creation story, either in Genesis or in the book of Abraham for Latter-day Saints, it always has left room for an old earth creation. I mean, you, you look at Abraham chapter four, when, when the gods are, are commanding the elements to come together and it says in verse 18 that they waited until they were obeyed. Like that word waited constitutes time. Right. And then you go to you go to to Abraham chapter five that talks about a thousand years on earth is one day to God. Right. And it's, it's these different timetables. My point being that a lot of people may felt may have felt that Joseph Smith may have felt that Brigham Young, maybe all the prophets, maybe all the members of the most members of the church. I don't know. But uh, and a young earth is what I'm talking about. They may have believed that. Mm-hmm. But I think the revelation has always left room. Maybe they didn't see it, but it's always left room for this. Uh... So does that make sense, though? Does it make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so you're saying there was uh, no one was ever going yeah. to be kicked out for having that view. But it no, does, seem, no, it does seem like um, uh, there's definitely there's a, a social aspect to it, especially within the broader Christian world. There was, mm-hmm. I would say, until pretty recently like you were considered maybe like Mm. progressive Christian, if you believe in it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and now Mm -hmm. you have plenty of people within the walls of, of traditional Christianity that you can believe that. And you're still within the wall. So I I guess there's just seen, I I actually believe that like you do need to update your beliefs. Like you can't be rigid or what if your belief is true though? Do you have to update it still? Uh, well, I guess there are some people that still believe in a young earth and they're pretty rigid and they still might be right. Then maybe, but I, I doubt it. <laughs> well, well, I'm saying, I'm saying like for you, like you're saying we should always update our beliefs or maybe that's not the phrase you use, but are, is there ever a time where you should not be updating your belief because you got it right? Do you, do you live your life in that way at all? Of course, but I try to have like. I try to adjust my confidence levels so that like, if I'm wrong, I can also update the Mm. ones that are wrong. Yeah. And I like that. I think, I think all people should do that, but to me, it doesn't make any sense. Like, let me just use kind of a weird example. You have, you have car, I have car keys sitting right here, right? I have a belief. Where's my camera? I have a belief. You can see I drive a Honda. Yeah. That if I plug this into my ignition and I turn it, it's going to, it's going to, at least attempt to start my car, right? Yeah. Do I need to update that belief? Like, of course not. Like that's the way to 
to turn on my car. Like I have that right now. It may not turn on based on how it's working, but, but my point is there are some things where you get right. And so there's no need to update. Does that make sense? I don't know if you agree with that or not. Well, yeah, you don't. Yeah. You wouldn't. Or like walking, Uh, like you know how to walk. You don't This kind of gets into Jordan Peterson again. He kind of talks about how you have to, uh, did you ever hear him talk about tickling, uh, tickling a baby? Uh, it sounds familiar, but you have to remind me. He talks about tickling a baby and someone says you're doing it wrong. And as a person, you can go, okay, I need to learn how to tickle a baby better. Or you can go, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person. I'm, mm. I can't even tickle a baby. Mm. I can't even do this. I can't even do this. And then you just, uh, everything collapses, right? Okay. And I'll admit that I probably was the collapse person when the collapse of belief happened. But mm. I think it kind of runs into what you were saying where I cut off the branch that I was standing on. Mm. But I guess what I'm trying to ask you is when you see people cutting off the branches that they're standing on, mm-hmm. like how do you prevent that from happening? Because the reason that they're sawing the branch is it seems to be legitimate reason. Yep. And um, I, what I, what I'm kind of thinking mm-hmm. is that um, there's value in scriptures. Like I've, um, I guess there's a lot of atheists that go anti-religion and I have decided not to do that because I feel like by doing that, I'm not cutting off the branch that I'm standing on. Okay. Yeah. And I only use that analogy in regards to morality. Well, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just using it in a different way. So I, I hear that you're not saying this is the same thing, but that's just as far as um, respecting where my ideas have come from Mm. and respecting uh the wisdom of my ancestors that this was worth passing mm-hmm. down to their children. Um, but it also doesn't seem good to like put your head in the sand and deny that there's a problem. Like there does mm-hmm. seem oh. to be a problem with mm-hmm. people integrating church history, for example, with their beliefs or integrating some scientific things that they learn like I know a lot of people that not a lot I've heard stories of you know people where they can't match what they were learned what they were taught at church and then what they're learning um in a scientific classroom or something like that mm-hmm. so what wh- where do you think that where do you think that contention is there with people leaving their religions for those reasons. Um, I'm, I might, maybe I'm not sure I understand the question. Yeah, um, I'm not doing are, are, no, 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 no. I want I want to understand it though. I think, I think there's something here. Um, contention, con- contention between like them and, and the religion or the people. Or, or uh, how, well, understand? okay. Here's, I, there's a better word for it. It's overused though, so I don't love it, but it is the word. It's cognitive dissonance. So you're learning mm. something and it's not meshing with what you already believe. And mm. so the way that a lot of people will fix that is they'll they'll take it down really low in order to get their beliefs to mesh up again. So take what down low? What do you mean by that? 
their their beliefs. So like, for example, okay. if if you were taught, if you were brought up in a home, especially if you were brought up, because I know that there are lots of different kind of Latter-day Saint homes, but let's say you were brought up in a home where it was young earth or else there's no God, right? Mm, okay. And you become convinced because you end up researching something in biology and mm-hmm. you learn about biology and then you're like, well, I can't deny and you learn about DNA. I don't know. You learn about something and you're like, I can't deny that this this is what I believe. And now you have that mm-hmm. cognitive dissonance where if I believe this, then there is no God. <laughs> okay, sure. Like like you're believing. So that's cutting it down all the way. Mm-hmm. Other people that have that cognitive dissonance, they can go, oh, there can be, there can be um, an old earth and there can still be a God. And so they modify their belief in some other way. But okay, it's not yeah. so drastic. Yeah, I think I think the this is good. I think the premise of the issue is that there are standards being put forth that are not true in their nature. Right. So to 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 give the conclude give the premise that you know the earth is the earth is young or whatever, and or, or they give an argument. I don't even know what the argument is, to be honest. I'm trying to add this together, but there's premises that add up to the conclusion of if the earth is old, there is no God. The that's an that's a what's the word? That's an that's an invalid argument. Like those premises do not add up. Like I can't think of premises that would add up to that. So it was wrong from the beginning, even if people believe. Oh, well, it. yes, I understand yeah. that. I guess what I'm trying to say is essentially there there seem to be beliefs that are widely held by Latter-day Saints, though, that mm-hmm. would have that cognitive distance where you learn it in the real world and then you have this cognitive distance. Okay, like, can you give me an example? Um, well, one one is that you believe that Joseph Smith only had Emma Smith as a wife. But that's not true, though. The premise is not true. But the belief, the, the belief, though. You, you have this belief over here. Oh, okay. And, and then you have the learned... You learn that he did have more than one wife, and then okay. that there's that cognitive dissonance. You have to figure out. Oh, you know. Sure. Yeah. So, so what is your question? I under I understand kind of what you're saying. There are these the things scenario. that cause mm-hmm. they're the things that cause this with mm-hmm. people. Like there, there seems to be a lot of these that are causing people. Mm. And now you're saying they have a wrong premise to just conclude that the church is not true. Well, I would no. I would say the, they're the cutting wrong, it down too much. They they're just not just up. To, there's some kind of well, apologetic conclusion that you can arrive at, and it. I don't know. Sure. Well, what I meant by that was like, if you believe Joseph Smith only had one wife, you're wrong, right? Yeah. But if you believe that Joseph Smith plus multiple wives equals the church is not true, you're also wrong. So, like from the foundation, mm-hmm. but I understand that happens. I under I understand people feel that way. Yeah, maybe this isn't a good way to explain it. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm probably just misunderstanding. I apologize. Well, let me ask let me ask okay. this. This might be like a more personal question for you. Yeah. But is there is there an item example that you can give me where you learned something and it doesn't you haven't figured out how to fit it in yet. So um yes. Um, but I, well, I haven't done enough research on it, but, but for now, I don't understand the current argument of Deutero Isaiah in regards to the book of Mormon. Are you familiar with that? Mm -mm. 
So from what I understand, um, there are historical evidences that the book of Isaiah was written in three parts. Um, I forget what the first one's called. Anyway, the second one's called Deutero Isaiah, and then there's like a try one or whatever. And the idea is that in the Book of Mormon, there are quotes from Deutero Isaiah that were not written until after Lehi left Jerusalem Hmm. or they weren't available. Does that make sense? Hmm. So, So to believe that the Book of Mormon is a historical record and then to have something in the Book of Mormon, to have a... You know, on its face value, it, look, it looks like a true anachronism, like something that doesn't belong. It's like it's like if I read that Lehi had a cell phone. Mm-hmm. It's like, OK, no, he didn't. Like, right. I know that for a fact. There's an issue and I don't understand it completely. There's there's definitely apologetic answers on Fair Mormon and whatever that I haven't dipped going into. But um, when I heard that, I said, oh, that's really interesting. I really need, need to look into that, because if it's true that. Nephi and Lehi are quoting a book that they didn't have access to. That may be, that may be reason to not believe the Book of Mormon, right? Yeah. That's just that's one example of a million you could give that also have apologetic answers. But yeah, that's maybe one. Does that answer your question? Maybe. Yeah. So, like, let let me go. Let's just assume that that's true. Okay. Like, how do you handle that? Um, if I came to believe that the Book of Mormon. No, not what? the not that the okay. if you came to believe mm-hmm. that um oh that there was okay right the the thing um, they set up uh, that, to, be, to be honest I would be able to justify it in some way probably because my um belief in the Book of Mormon is not is not centered on the Isaiah issue or the Deutero Isaiah issue okay um, I have a more fundamental like foundation of the Book of Mormon that that. Again, I could probably come up with an apologetic answer to still believe it, if I'm being honest with you. So I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out. Uh, so where I was trying to go is like mm. it seems like you just named one thing, and it seems like mm. there's like a laundry list of things. Mm-hmm. And I guess, do you see them as problems to sting, like the purpose of the church or? Do you see them like, I don't know quite how to word it. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think like if what, what, what I guess you, what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. let's just say that you came to the conclusion that the book of Mormon is not a historical document document oh, that sure. it was uh, given to Joseph Smith by the power of God. And that meant something right. else that it wasn't a historical document. Sure. Um, would it then bother you when other people at church keep on asserting that it's a historical document? Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be a Latter-day Saint if I believe that. I, I think I think the historical, the historicity of the Book of Mormon is is tightly I know not everyone believes this. I've met some Latter-day Saints who believe what you're saying. Right. That's uh, but I believe that here's the thing about the church and church history. Yeah. Our history is tightly woven into our authority in our truth claims. Like for example, um, Joseph Smith says that Peter, James, and John came in reality as angels and placed their hands on him and Oliver's heads and gave them priesthood keys. That's a historical event, but it's also a truth claim of authority. Like he says, now I now have the authority. If that didn't happen, that would invalidate his authority. 
And I see that if the Book of Mormon is not an actual historical record, I don't, I can't see it as valid. Hmm. At least, at least in, in my mind, anyway. That's interesting. I need to find something else then. Something yeah. that's not going to sway you out of the church. I, I guess what I'm trying, oh, I'm okay. trying, I'm trying to understand, like, if you recognize that there are some traditional ways of viewing the church that aren't necessary um, to participate in the church. Okay. I have one. Okay. I hate it. I hate it. When people pray faithless prayers by saying, Heavenly Father, please bless this food that's going to nourish and strengthen our bodies. And they're blessing the pizza from Little Caesars or they're blessing the donuts at Mutual. Or when they say, Heavenly Father, please help um, the people who are not here this Sunday that they can be here next week. Like, like from, from an agent point of view, like those traditions of language of prayer or even just asking to bless the food. Oh, please bless this food. Or or please, um, what's the other one? Please bless the hands that prepared it. Or what you know, you know all the phrases. Mm-hmm. I um I don't I don't like those phrases. I don't I don't think they're helpful. I think they are vain repetitions. So so that's one that most Latter-day Saints will say those things. I will not say them, but it doesn't dissuade me from leaving the church. I don't know. Is that is that a good example? Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of something that I disagree with the majority on. Yeah. Or the traditional view. Yeah. Um, does it have to be a truth claim or a, like the fundamentals? One of the one of these days, maybe we'll have to chat again about yeah. the Book of Mormon. There, there's there's a lot of conversation to be had there. Or yeah. or maybe you should interview Brian Hales. Do you know Brian? You probably know Brian Hales. Yeah, I would have him on if he'd come on. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if I can get a lot of those people that are. Um... I th- I think he would. Um, I haven't anyway, tried. Like I should probably. If try. you want to talk about the validity, Do you know who I really and... want to talk to. Yeah, who's that? Um, Halverson, whatever that guy's name. Oh, Chow Hal? No, not Chow Halverson. Um, Jared Halverson. Yeah. Yeah, I'd he seems like a him. good guy. I've never I've seen him do firesides and stuff, but I've never seen him do a podcast. He probably has done podcasts, actually. Now that I, I listened to some podcasts. He has this one where he claims that he talks to people in other faiths a lot and stuff. So I think mm. there's maybe a chance. Yeah. Yeah. You I should set know. that up. I'd, I'd love to, to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been, it's been a while here, so I yeah. will let you go. I'll officially end it. Thank you, Hayden, for um, having this conversation. Uh, I think it was fun. I think we definitely hit some spots where we couldn't get past, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that and, that means we're having the good conversations, though. So I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, and I think we should talk again. Is that okay? Oh, absolutely. I'd love to anytime. Thank you very much. This has been really, really fun and pleasant. I really enjoyed it. So thank yeah. you. And then just really quick, I said should. <laughs> yes. Well, we'll we'll have to beat that dead horse another day. Yeah. All right. <laughs>